Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast where we analyse, dissect and stinger splash the WCW vs. NWO era of wrestling. I'm your host Dave C, but it would be way too spooky to delve into this episode alone. So I have my co-host with me, Fergus Looney. How are you doing? Man, every single time you have to think of the worst pun possible, right? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, this one is a lot more smooth, I think, than, than the previous ones, so... I'm looking forward to talking about this. Yeah, a, a tad more coherent, which I don't think is the trend throughout the history of WCW, unfortunately. Uh, well, let's not go too far. Uh. <laughs> and on, on my other side, Connor O'Donnell. How are you doing? Doing good, Dave. How are you doing, man? I, I'm doing well. This is your as expertise, so I'll ask you, did production seem a little bit better on this episode? On this pay-per-view, sorry. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'll point out the the times where they kind of fuck up a little bit, but it's definitely improved uh, in some aspects. Yeah, again, maybe it's because we started very close to Hogwild, and the production was so bad on that, that I'm just happy that it's in an arena again for the second week in a row. Maybe they put a bit more money into at this stage when they're starting to get a lot more money, and I don't know. So this week, if you haven't guessed, it's Halloween Havoc. I think the Halloween Havocs are some of my favorite WCW pay-per-views, and not because of the matches or anything iconic. When I think of WCW, I tend to think of stuff like Bash in the Beach, Halloween Havoc, these kind of almost cheesy themed kind of pay-per-views. Is this something that brings up memories of old WCW for you? Oh, for sure. I mean, Halloween Havoc 98, it's like, I think like the first WCW like pay-per-view I was like really excited to quote-unquote watch, I should say. Yeah, I've always liked the theme. I like the name of it. It's always funny that they have the certain sponsors for this particular one as well. I do like the nice touch of the, the Slim Jim package is the ring posts. I thought that was a nice little touch as you were t- mentioning, like production has upped its game. I thought that was a nice little cool touch because it kind of stands out the, the Slim Jim packages are the, the yellow and red. Yeah, I think I'd agree too. I, they're more memorable, I suppose, because they'll have like the quirkier sets or like the ring posts or something like that. Or maybe it's the gimmick the gimmick stuff, which we'll definitely get to next month. There's some room for some in-jokes. I think I saw a couple of interesting names on the tombstones for this pay-per-view. <laughs> they haven't ditched the clip art graphics yet, though. So that's, oh, no, no. That's one thing. The Titan Tron, or whatever the Tron is called, is gloriously mid-90s. Where they've, like, cardboard cutout of person. And then have person appear from top to bottom. And then go left to right. And then diagonal, <laughs> and that, that's that's all their their uh, their intro kind of song stuff kind of works to, and uh, it's it's wonderfully nineties and the limits of their technology. It is cool that this one is set in uh, Vegas at the MGM uh, Casino, which is it kind of brings up a little prestige to the event. Yeah, I, I was impressed. Like a lot, I watch a lot of these old wrestling shows, and they're in the middle of nowhere. Like we had one, in, I, I guess it's kind of famous for you guys, but like. The Mall of America, and there's it feels very small stage, but MGM is something the majority of people have heard of. Looking at it, it didn't seem like that. It seemed like any other kind of Halloween Havoc I've seen. It didn't show, but it felt more prestigious, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I'm just glad there's not a monster truck match this, this go-around. So. <laughs> I mean, they could have. They could have done something like that. <laughs> yeah, they had monster trucks around, but they just yeah. didn't use them this time. You think it's the same monster truck? Do you think they bought one? Was it a rental service? I looked at the side by side, like 
comparison, they look the same. So I'm wondering if they did paint them. I tried to look it up and I couldn't find anything. But yeah. it definitely looks exactly the same as Hogan's old monster truck with the the arms. But yeah. it's just painted black and white now. Was so bad. But I mean, it, it's it's got to be expensive to lug around Macho Man's hat that fits on the monster truck, right? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm confused. I can't get it out of my head, man. It's so stupid. I mean, could you imagine if they had to have the truck had to keep up with Randy's costume changes? It would just be the most expensive thing on the planet. They're constantly repainting it. <laughs> if, if, you, if you told me right now that was in Randy's contract, I'd believe you. If that was in some kind of WCW contract, the truck must look like my current costume every time. <laughs> I, I would 100% believe you. But as we were saying, this uh, pay-per-view a little bit more coherent. I think there's a couple of feuds that were continued on from the Nitros. And I think in uh, spirit of the sponsor, I think we're going to snap right into the Nitro uh, recap. Welcome to a new, new, new edition of the Nitro Recap. We are live as live can be, chronicling the past month of Monday Night Nitro. Spray paint count keeps climbing at a steady rate. We're at a total of 17 spray paints. I've actually started a spreadsheet to help keep track of this nonsense. There are now eight members of the New World Order. The shock factor is kind of wearing off as more and more members are introduced. The two new members being debuted on back-to-back Nitros after Fall Brawl. First being six, more well-known from his WWF days, as the 1-2-3 kit and X-Pac, but we'll talk about more on him later. Next member is Vincent, more well-known as Virgil from his WWF days. His role is similar to DiBiase's, like a background character, bodyguard for the NWO. We actually won't see him wrestle until Starcade 1997. And there's really no big reveal for Vincent either. He just kind of comes out, doesn't say anything, stands there, looks looks mean, tough. As a kid, I missed Virgil's run, and I don't remember his time in WCW. I mean, if you're not a playable character in the N64 WCW games, I'm not going to remember you, unfortunately. So what do you guys think of the new gimmick as Vincent? So interesting little tidbit. Uh, it was never really confirmed, but it's taught that he's called Vincent to make fun of Vince McMahon. I think he's one of the most unfortunate men in professional wrestling because he's always the valet. He's a fine wrestler. He's not, like, amazing or anything, but he it's controversial. He's known as uh, DiBiase's valet, and he came off, again, in a kind of very racial gimmick, and he comes over to WCW, and there's no fanfare made of his NWO debut, and... Again, he just becomes a background character, and I don't think that has anything to do with him. No, maybe he loves it. Just like Kevin Nash, he's getting paychecks for doing very little, right? He's probably the least celebrated uh, initial NWO member. Yeah, Dave, do you know why he was called Virgil? Originally, no. Yeah, well, it because it's a rib as well. That's Dusty's real name. So uh, oh, Wow. That's... So he, he's there to be, he's a human rib. So yeah, pretty one. much. I used to have him on Twitter anyway. But I've, I've since given up because all his tweets about Olive Garden and stuff were a bit too much. <laughs> what? Oh, man, you should go check it out. <laughs> Virgil, I think, is perfectly happy. I think it would be fair to say taking those paychecks and living the life. I think it, this is one of the first like guys that you're like really like going, oh, what, what are you doing here? But I think the thought process is like, well, we have Ted and Ted's an old guy from there. What worked about his act? Oh well, he had he had a guy who were, who came with him. Why don't we get him as well? And like it'll add to the mystique or whatever. But I don't think anyone ever really actually cared about him, apart from that very very small run he had where he got to do the beat up his master essentially as a feud. Other than that, he didn't really amount to much. So it doesn't really work for me. <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's, it's WCW trying to appease the hardcore fans, and we're going to see this later on the pay-per-view, of course, and it's just a weird dynamic that WCW is trying to go for. I mean, they're quartering the market of the older crowd while WWF is trying to get, like, the middle, younger kind of crowd. So yeah. I guess it's, I guess it worked for now. <laughs> yeah, for, for now. I don't think nostalgia, I, this is a theme throughout wrestling history. Nostalgia pops the crowd for a while, but people get bored. So other developing stories. Macho Man attacked Nick Patrick, causing a neck injury, which will come into play on this show. And the long-awaited Nitro debut of... Glacier! Oh, the presentation. We get the fake snow. We get the armor. And also WCW possibly the first to go for the colored lighting ring presentation. Um, I don't know if you guys remember similar gimmicks for Sin Cara and when Kane debuted. Like, they'll turn down the house lights. The ring is, like, illuminated by a color. So in this case, Glacier wrestles Big Bubba in, a, like, a blue light. So you can't really see, like, the crowd or anything. It's just, like, you see the ring. It's, like, dark blue light. And I'm in agreement with Gus. It's a travesty that we don't get to see Glacier on this pay-per-view. Oh, man. This is one of the best, like, shit entrances I've ever seen in my life. And shit. I don't think you can really encapsulate it any better than his his catchphrase, which is be cool. <laughs> do you know who the original Glacier was supposed to be? Well, it's meant to be Sub-Zero, right? No, but do you know what wrestler was supposed to be Glacier? Oh, no, no. Rob Van Dam. Well, at least be cool would work for him, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he he got a very bad gimmick over for years, so I'm sure he would have done a bit better than the actual Glacier. But... Yeah, he actually kind of fits the character, so I'm um, good casting, but I'm glad RVD did not go down that route. It's funny because I think his style would have worked a lot better. He's way more of a martial artist type character wrestler. He uses all the martial arts moves he knows in his life in the first match and then in subsequent ones he just has to revert to regular wrestling yeah with rvd i can actually believe that he knows some sort of martial arts and yeah oh well glacier we will not see him until uncensored 1997 so we're gonna have to wait to talk more about glacier unfortunately but we have to get to the biggest story unfolding on nitro however sting cuts a promo on wcw and lex luger during the nitro following fall brawl I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people, I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. Like a little, so little I heard Lex say, I know where he lives, I know where he works out, I'm gonna go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting. I don't believe you stink. Well, all I got to say is, 
I have been mediator. I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I've like the tone the of this WCW at all. And I've carried the WCW banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people okay, yeah, I mean, that never doubted the stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that uh -oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger from time to time. I'm gonna pop in when you least expect it. What about tonight? What did he mean? What about tonight? So finally, WCW goes back to promo time in the ring. You know, get Mean Gene, you know, get Bischoff, no Tanay. And my favorite part of the promo, which Bischoff stupidly like spells out for the audience, yeah. Sting has his back facing to the hard camera. Like, yes, Eric, we know it's a metaphor for Sting turning his back on WCW. I actually wish wrestlers like did this spot more. Yeah, I, I it's I guess a, a bit of a comment on you. Know, sometimes I guess wrestlers pretend they're not in the TV show. I guess the kayfabe going a bit too far, and knowing all, this entire gimmick is you know acknowledging the whole NWO angle in general is that this is a company, it's a TV show first, and someone is trying to kind of take it over and make it their own. So stuff like that is kind of a cool nod to that, I think. I, I really enjoyed this promo. It made sense. Obviously, Bischoff went way over the top to kind of confirm what's going on. Just like but, talking over Sting, too. That's Yeah, it's, it's real annoying. But uh, he follows it up and he does disappear. I mean, he does show up once right before the pay-per-view. Right, so yeah, a few weeks later, we finally get to see Sting, and he's sporting the black and white makeup. I mean, it's not like full-on established Sting makeup. It's just like mainly white, but it's some black. So it's the first time we see him in that kind of makeup. And I don't think we see him in the rafters yet. This is kind of his first appearance since that promo. And he claims he's, you know, he's the free agent. The MWO actually make him an offer. Sting ends up beating up the NWO. Sting claims that this is your cheap ripoff. You get what you pay for and you can't afford me. So then Sting walks out. MWO don't touch him. And thus we get the long journey to Starcade 1997 for the Sting storyline is now in full motion. Yeah, I, I particularly liked his, his makeup because uh, he totally looks like an insane clown posse member at that point. Uh, he just hasn't figured out, like, I need to have more black in the way or whatever it is. It has shades of, like, old Sting, too. Like, it, like the pattern, yeah. it was still a little bit of old Sting. Well, yeah, you can, you can see, I don't know if you noticed, but when he comes out, like, he's in all black, except he still has the Stinger pants. So his name is still like embroidered on in neon green and pink, <laughs> which kind of kills the mystique a little bit. Yeah, I'm, at least like his demeanor kind of sells the the new look, though. Oh, totally. I you get that's his new he gets his new catchphrase from this as well. The only thing you know for sure is that nothing's for sure. I think is he says that for the first time and he he starts using that a lot. But yeah, he drops that into that promo with the NWO. 
I actually like the second one just as much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how his how that progresses because like I've never really watched it all in one go and seen week to week like what's he doing? Is he as boring as it as it makes out in that like he's literally just sitting there or does he kind of engage a bit more? So yeah, same. Yeah. I love how everything has been handled so far though. I think the WCWR is marked a lot by wrestlers kind of going into business for themselves a little bit. So there's talk about, you know, this is the era when wrestlers got guaranteed paychecks, and that's why a lot of people are jumping over to WCW. Staying with one of the finest pieces of business I've ever seen. Hey, guys, will you pay me for doing nothing for weeks and weeks and weeks? Yeah, no, no, that's that's a good pitch, Sting. Fantastic piece of wrestling personal business by Sting here, in my opinion. And other than that, Nitro has been very uneventful. Loads of random NASCAR and monster truck plugs. I don't want to even get into that. <laughs> so that will conclude our Nitro recap for this episode. Next up, Halloween Havoc 1996. I think this is the first time on a pay-per-view we may have seen a kind of feud package put together. We've seen rehashed NWO footage over and over again, but this is actually Randy versus the NWO, which shows the stuff from Nitros. I think they do a good job of catching people up to what the feud's about and building up. What, what do you guys think of the, the video package here? Yeah, it's nothing special, but I mean, like, I'd rather have this than nothing compared to the the past pay-per-views. Yeah, it definitely does a decent job of just bringing it up to speed. I mean, that's the job of a promo package. It's not that hard. I mean, it's really short. It doesn't need to be... I mean, it has the like, kind of cheesy 90s, like, filters on it and stuff, and the weird, like, audio filter on Bischoff's voice. And also, I actually kind of wish it was somebody else than, than Bischoff, too. Yeah, I find myself wishing that a lot. <laughs> How about you, Fergus? What do you think of this? I like, like, like Connor says, like, it, it's the middle of the 90s. You're not, you can't expect too much at this point, but it's nice that they've kind of progressed a little bit. And it's a good way for people to catch on, like, what's going on and a bit. And it leads nicely then into when they actually open the show with the three-man team and they can set it up a bit better. So I I think, like always, these openings are one of the most coherent and well-structured parts of the show. I don't think on one of the episodes yet we've said anything kind of negative besides the costumes from Hogwild, possibly. But I think they set it up well. I think one thing they say I think is a nice soundbite and it's, they have taken his heart, his mind, his money. And I, I think they paint Randy as kind of a desperate guy, last ditch defense swiping out at the WCW. This is They make this last for a little while. They make the faces, the WCW guys, kind of feel like this is their last chance to get the title back because who else do we have? This to me feels like the most serious, most genuine one. I think it's well set up by the guys here. A couple things I, I noticed when the commentators were kind of putting over the pay-per-view. Uh, the crowd was actually really hot at the beginning for some reason. I, they were like, a lot of chance, but the crowd, I think overall in the show, was like pretty mild for the rest of the show. They, they certainly go down. They start high, 
And as the card goes, they get slowly and slowly more tired of what's happening. But they are super hot for the commentators at the start. I think it's probably just who is involved with the show and like the people that they put on. Because there's some people that they just don't really care about. And maybe it's because of this is where it's slowly starting to take shape now that they're a bit successful. So there's people coming to these shows to see specific people. And those guys are at the top of the card. So necessarily the people at the bottom are a little bit less known. And there's not as much energy or there's not as much interest. That's like, I, I, I think I know why the crowd was so hot at the beginning. It was, it was the polo shirts the commentators were wearing they saw him. <laughs> it's de- definitely very true. I mean, anything except for Daisy Dukes, man. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. It was, it was just kind of weird. You know, we, we get the prom suits for two pay-per-views. Now it's like weird polo shirts, but uh, it's okay. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. agreed. <laughs> so we'll go into our first match, which is has traditionally on the show been the best match so far. I think two out of three times it's been the best match. But we have Dean versus Rey Mysterio opening up the match. For the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Ray still has it at the moment. And this clock's in about 18 and a half minutes. Connor, would you like to give us a little bit of a backstory? This has been building ever since we start watching. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, They've kind of put this over as an even feud that they've wrestled four times before this. And it's been even at two in peace. Tanae kind of historically goes through it uh, during during the match. As he kind of jumps in the commentary. And there's very light buildup. All it really is is Dean took Ray's mask and he's been kind of holding it hostage. He'll wrestle his matches on Nitro. He'll put the mask on the ring post like he does for this match and just kind of point to it. It's just very simple. I want the title. I have your mask. Simple story. It's not, not much else to it. Yeah, Dean just seems to be the just a kind of professional heel. There's not much, as you said, there's not much connecting them in the story besides... Dean wants the title and he's willing to do any kind of mind game. Dean's kind of this interesting heel where he never really cheats, but he's very vicious in the ring and he's willing to do a lot outside the ring, a lot of like manipulating to try and get that title shot. A lot of mind games, I guess, is his character. One thing I noticed, such a such a stupid little note I have here, but do you guys think Ray's and Dean's music is like super similar? Yes. Oh yeah, I have the yep. same, yep. same <laughs> thing written down. I have it down as well. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous when they're playing one into each other. You're like, oh, maybe that was the intro. It shows how like heelish Ray's music is as well. It sounds like something from a, yeah. from a rip-off Jaws movie. So as you said, we get Mike Tanay out for this match, and I, I've always enjoyed Mike Tanay's work. Quick rundown of the start of it. Dean does his you know early aggression kind of stick. We've talked about Dean before on the podcast where he's a light heavyweight, but a lot of his moves aren't like high risk. They're very aggressive. They're very clinical. It's all part of his character. And this allows Ray to play off it really well. And then if you have two cruiserweights, I think some of the enjoyment is lost if they're both just doing this outrageous stuff. But if the heel gets to do this chain wrestling, really slick chain wrestling, and Ray gets to do some amazing spots again in this one. I, th- I think it plays better for the face. And I think the audience, especially when they don't know these guys, like a lot of them still don't know Dean and Ray. I think it, it's better for the uh, live audience as well. What do you think of the, the opening kind of of the match, Gus? They do miss a couple of things. Like there's little missteps at the beginning. Like they slip a little or like they miss just the, the right timing, whatever it is. But as, as the match progresses, they get into it better. Like you said earlier, Dean is a heel. But he's just a very business-like person. It's not that he's a dick or has done something horrible to, like, Ray's mother or whatever. He just wants that title and he'll do whatever it takes to do that, but in a very professional and considered way. Like, him stealing his mask seems kind of almost the limits to what Dean will go at this point in his career. 
So yeah, I think the opener is really good and there's some decent spots. It really, really picks up after a while, uh, particularly when he does the... There's a Herc and Rana counter that Dean pulls off into a side suplex. That looks particularly, particularly nice. Yeah, I love the hot start. I mean, mainly what makes this match work too, as I said, it's the history and it's that that match that they had on Nitro and Clash of Champions. It kind of there's this feeling that Ray kind of stole the title from Dean. So that's kind of where the animosity is from. And you can feel that in the match and you just since we've had to wait so long for this match too, it just it's been a nice build up for it. I wanna see this match, it's really cool. I like how Bobby says that the mask that Dean stole was the one he won the title with. It's not true, but I do like the the comment. I thought that was kind of cool to bring. So just to let the audience know, what what has happened, we've talked about Dean stealing the mask. He comes down with the mask again. He puts it on the ring post. About halfway through the match, Ray gets it back. Dean is like taunting him with it and he, uh, he gets it back. And he replaces the mask. He puts on the mask that was stolen. He's actually quite good at switching the mask without revealing any of his face, I think. I was kind of impressed by how fast he could do that. This did not go over great with the live crowd, I thought. You could feel them thinking, why does it matter? Like, I, I think if this was in Mexico, this would have been a massive pop. In America, the Americans don't seem to get how important Ray's mask is to him, and that the one that was stolen was his mask, and this is like a replacement. They just see a mask. I kind of disagree with you, Dave, on this, because the main thing for me is that Ray changes the colour of his mask quite a lot. Yeah. Or at least a decent amount. I get the idea of, oh, you get it back, you get what is like personal to you and stuff, and he cared about it, but why did he need to put it on, is what <laughs> kind of bothered me. Can't Dean just steal the other mask now and we're in the same spot? <laughs> and it was just that little bit of continuity where I'm like, ah, it's wrestling, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I did also feel that it was weird in the middle of the match. I thought that it was going to be end of the match thing and cost Ray because he wasn't focused on the match. So I think blowing it in the middle of the match is a weird trying to pop the crowd moment that doesn't make all that much sense to me. What do you think of the spots with the mask, Connor? Yeah, it was okay. I think I agree with you a little bit, Dave, because I think the match started off great. I think the crowd was into it, but it does slow down from that point. And there's also a bunch of like rust holds and sleeper holds like right after that too. So that that hinders the match a little bit. I do love Ray's uh, grunting and submission holds though. He's just a no-nonsense guy. He is known as the Iceman. It's because of his personality. He's all business and fancy. Oh, no. I love the selling. <laughs> I think he mentioned his face or his leg at some stage. He just shouts the body part the submission is on. Like, Ray, I don't, like, I can I can see the submission hold and the ref doesn't need to know. Just keep it to yourself, buddy. That's a weird one. Is there any spots in particular you guys want to talk about? There's there's one or two that I have in mind. Gus, was there any particular spot you wanted to point out in the, the match that impressed you? I pointed out that Herc and Rana counter. That's one. Yeah. And then it's the finish for the match pretty much. So I'll wait till that point. Uh, <laughs> okay. How about you, Connor? Was there anything in the match you wanted to point out? Uh, earlier in the match, the sweet senton splash to the outside. I thought that was really crisp. Dean caught him like perfectly. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. that was probably my one of my favorite spots of the match. I have, I, I guess, two notes on it. I really like, and it's really simple, when they're both on the top rope and they're kind of slugging it out. And then instead of a big move off the top rope, they kind of both just fall to the outside. They're both kind of like too tired. And I thought that was a kind of cool spot for the match. So Dean, of course, works a body part because that's what Dean does for, you know, any match he's ever been in. And he drops Ray on his knees on the top rope. So he has him open a suplex and he just like unceremoniously drops him and you usually drop them on their stomach. But he just lets him go and lets him like bounce on his knees, which kind of looked nasty. Yeah, what's the Ray quote? Like, I've broken my left knee or something like that. What, what yeah. 
I've torn the pectoral muscle completely off my shoulder. I've had surgery five times in my left knee. <laughs> I can see where that came from because that, look, that looked really uh, vicious. Too bad like Dean doesn't target the knee much after that though. Yeah, it also looks particularly vicious because if Ray was a taller guy, when he hit the top rope, his hands would already be you know close to the bottom rope. But he just hits the top rope with his knees and then his head is the next thing to hit the canvas. It's kind of ugly. Fergus, do you want to go to the finish for us? Yeah, so um, it runs into the my favorite spot of the match, which is just they've been fighting back and forth. Particularly, they they kind of rerun a couple of spots from earlier in the match where like Dean has been caught with some Hurricane Ranas and and other little niggles from Ray, so he's able to react a couple of times. And but when Ray manages to backflip out of it and head back up for the the finish, as it were. And he's trying to get that one sweet move, that high-flying move that he loves to do. Dean kind of shuts the door with with a massive, massive powerbomb. You can just kind of see the kind of wind come out of Ray's sails. And it's just pretty much all elementary from there. I really enjoyed it. There's one thing. When he wins, he gets quite the pop for winning as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think it might be one of those results of just a good match pop. So there was no shady win, which I guess people aren't used to in this era of wrestling either. But there's no, <laughs> no shady win. So it was just a clean match. Maybe that's why not using the mask at the end is a good thing. Because it just leads to this nice sequence at the end of the match they can just shoot off. And I think the crowd are just appreciative of someone winning that match. Yeah, Dean is just, I think, just a very underrated person in terms of how he puts together matches. Everything seems to have a purpose behind them. So I don't think it's any surprise that he's he works backstage now that he's retired. <laughs> I think the first five, ten minutes of the match was great. Uh, I think the second half of the match lacked a little bit. But I think we, like, we've been spoiled. We've had like amazing finishes on the previous Ray matches. I thought the the finish was slightly sloppy. I mean, the, the powerbomb right before the finish was like the, the best part. I actually kind of wish that finished the match. Overall, still an awesome match. Great opener. I'm glad we, have, like, we went back to the cruiserweight opener. Watching this, it's really great because the commentators actually do an excellent job during this match. Uh, Tanae puts over the grind of the international travel schedule for Ray. Like, yeah. since his popularity has, like, skyrocketed, he's high in demand, like, headline shows, and, like, the travel, like, taking its toll, like, long-term on Ray, and, like, he wrestles, like, in a certain style that, like, it can really hurt you, like, long-term, so it makes, like, Ray feel like a legitimate champion, and, like, beating him is a big deal, but I'm gonna miss Ray as a cruiserweight champion, though. It felt like this was a good time to change it back to Dean, but overall, I thought that was, like, one of the best ways to get this belt over, though. Yeah, Ray has definitely been a highlight of our shows so far, so going to miss him as champion. Looking forward to see what Dean can do or whoever has it in the next pay-per-view. I have not looked ahead or if it's defended in the next pay-per-view. But we go on from this match to our first sighting of a certain hated character of mine. Jeff Jarrett gets an interview. You hate Jeff? What? I hate Why? Jeff so much. I, I, want, I guess my big thing is I watched <laughs> TNA for years. I didn't actually ever see him in WWF or WCW, but I watched TNA. And it's the most frustrating thing to watch TNA when Jeff Jarrett's in charge. Hey, how about we give one of these other guys a title shot? How about I keep the title instead? Okay, Jeff, that's fair. Jeff gets his pay-per-view debut here, interviewed by Lee Marshall along with Ric Flair. Tony, thank you very much. I'll tell you what, things really getting going here in Las Vegas, Nevada, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. When the card for this event was first being put together, we thought the NWO would finally get their comeuppance. It was going to be the giant against the nature boy, Ric Flair. Well, we saw what happened to the nature boy, but a man came through. He has accepted the challenge, and it is none other than Jeff Jarrett. And you are going to face the biggest man in the history of this sport in the biggest match of your life. Exactly. You want to talk about pride. You want to talk about tradition. You want to talk about heritage. You want to talk about charisma? 
being able to get the, the job done inside of the ring. <laughs> I could go on and on about myself and Ric Flair, but I'm out here to talk tonight. <laughs> Just a few words to the NWO and the Giant. You guys had to impress me from the Giant to the Hogan all the way down the list with your monster trucks and jumping Ric Flair outside the ring. You ain't done nothing inside the ring. And in case you didn't know, Giant, that's exactly where we're meeting, right in the middle of the old squared circle. That being the point, Jeff, can we talk a minute about the choke slam? The fact oh. of the matter is he's put it on just about everybody. Exactly. No promises or guarantees, no threats. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man-to-man, face-to-face, Giant, you will not choke slam me. <laughs> talk about Tell some big, big boots to oh, fill. 13 yeah. times heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric Flair. I'm here tonight, not just to support Jeff Jett, but I'm here woo, to orchestrate the meet and greet because there will be a line a mile long of women in Las Vegas that want to shake the hand, hug the neck, and kiss the face woo, of Jeff Jett after he beats the giant. Then, macho man, as much as I despise you, Tonight, Macho Man, you and WCW woo, will walk that out. You will style a profile, and you will take the hoaxer and the NWO woo, all night long. So the first thing that strikes me about a Jeff interview, I don't know if you guys noticed this, is the laughs, the fake laugh between words. It yeah, that's, I have that written down. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so bad. At least he's not spelling out his name anymore. Uh, so I, obviously I'm a little bit biased. What, what are your first impressions of uh, Jeff Connor? He just never really works as a babyface for me. Like I've, I've sort of liked his heel work. I mean, I've never been a huge Jarrett fan, especially because he's just kind of a Ric Flair light and Ric Flair kind of overshadows him in this promo. I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. But he is essentially Ric Flair. That's what he's trying to be. If I was WCW, I probably would have kept him apart, to be honest, <laughs> because he just doesn't have it quite all there like he's basically cut the same promo for the last month now uh he shows up on a couple of nitros dave it bothers me his ring gear his ring gear annoys the fuck out of me i I don't i don't understand why you have like a frilled shirt thing that's tied to your tights and it doesn't work at this time period for sure no it really doesn't he's trying to be like way too white bread and then he's trying to fit in with the horsemen all at the same time and he kind of gets the overarching story of what's going on because he comes in he's like i'm pro wcw because these nwl guys don't know the history and they don't follow it and then he like pimps out a whole bunch of people like Vern Gagne and his dad of course all the old territory guys so it's kind of cool in that way it makes it a little bit more interesting but then like flair is just a better promo guy i wonder what they would have done if flair hadn't have been injured yeah, that, I was going to ask this, the same question because I think ripe is like a week or two before this. I, I think it was when he wrestled in Japan that he has a bad shoulder injury. And apparently that's like what kind of uh, slowed down his career, unfortunately. So I, I have a little bit of a problem with Flair being injured here. Not, not that he is injured. I'm not saying he should be wrestling or anything. But he just does his normal stuff. As, as far as I remember, he's not in like a sling. He never looks that hurt. Maybe he is on the nitros. I don't know. Yeah, he, he is. But it's weird. The, the commentators do note that he's hurt. But yeah, Flair, I think what you're getting at is that he doesn't say that he's hurt. He doesn't show that he's hurt. Yeah, he's never he's never holding his shoulder. He never winces. He never shows the audience why he can't rest. And he didn't get hurt on Nitro. So it's not like he had to be carted out of an actual match or, or something happened. It was in Japan, so no one has an idea. So he's just coming in full suit, Ric Flair, high-energy promo, jumping around. 
He comes down to the ring as well. He's moving normal. So I'm not saying he's not injured. I think he needs surgery after this, a little while after this. I can't exactly remember. But it doesn't show at all that he's on the shelf. So if I was a fan of WCW, I'm like, why isn't Drake fighting? Why do I have to watch Jarrett instead? Another little pet peeve from this uh, promo I have, and a lot of wrestlers do this. It's not just Jarrett. It's a very common thing to say. Jarrett says face-to-face, man-to-man. He's going to tell the Giants something. But he's not face-to-face or man-to-man. You're doing it to a TV camera. That's the opposite of exactly what you're saying. And I, I know, again, it's tiny, it's a cliche, but I absolutely hate when someone's like, I'll tell you, brother, I'm going to do it face-to-face. And no, you're not. You're going to shout at this little interview guy. Yep. Not at all. What yeah, that's doing. actually fair, too, because Jared's way shorter than Giants. I am close to face-to-face. That stuff like that irks me a little bit. It's just very common, old promo stuff. In fairness to them, like, unlike a lot of the more recent stuff that we've been subjected to, uh, these are all pretty much all live. He's relying a lot on cliche and kind of rote lines that he can be like, oh yeah, if I start with this, I'll remember like a whole bunch of stuff that links to it. I don't really dock him that much because it's just the way the style it is. So one quick note I wanted to bring up. If you, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's no Mean Gene on this uh, pay-per-view. And I, I don't know if you know, but his contract was up at this point. So we have no Mean Gene for a little bit. Thank God. <laughs> to be perfectly honest though, Connor, I never even noticed Gene was gone. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to say really, but... Okay, so we go from this spectacular interview into our second match of the night. We're getting Eddie Guerrero against Diamond Dallas Page. This gets a bit of time as well at 13 minutes 40. And it's a continuation of another feud. Again, good continuity going on in this pay-per-view. I'm liking it. Gus, do you want to set up this match a bit for us? Uh, yeah, this is a follow-up of the... Uh... They had a match two months ago now uh, where Eddie beat DDP for his battle bowl ring. DDP has been determined to get it back. Uh, and he went through Chavo last month and now they get their return. So it's pretty reasonable. I, as far as I can recall, Eddie was away because he was in New Japan playing as Black Tiger in the light heavyweight division. As usual, WCW books incredibly well and thinks far ahead. You, you were telling us actually something me and Connor didn't know before the podcast, the condition of Eddie going into this match. Yeah, so Eddie, I, I, we've all been there. We've we've gone to work and we've kind of gone, I'm kind of feeling well. And I mean, I know some of us will tough it out. Some of us will go, screw that. I don't like my boss. So I'm going to take sick day. But for Eddie, yeah, Eddie was had like a really bad fever the day of the pay-per-view. Wrestling being what it is, he just decided to tough it out. So this does colour the match quite a bit. In particular, though, there is a spot later on. It's not a bad spot as well, where Eddie decides to do a plancha to the outside. And in the process, Eddie breaks at least one of his ribs. So to be fair, I have to give props to Eddie where it's due. Eddie really toughs this one out. All things considered, it's a it's a good match when you understand what the background of how what state he's in. But as a normal wrestling match, it's not great. Yeah, in my initial notes, I shit all over the match, but until I found out, I'm like, okay, I can't, I'll back off a little bit. And I guess, too, with him being sick, I can understand it, too, just because, like, pay-per-views are the big paydays for the wrestlers back in the day. Yeah, yeah for sure. Especially, there's a lot of higher-up guys in this company getting paid a lot, but the low-card guys still are not of note, and they, they have to bust their ass. So that definitely comes into consideration here. It's also arguable as well, like, because of the state of the company. I, I must try and count the amount of people, Connor, between Nitron and the pay-per-views because it's insane how many people they have on TV. So for Eddie, like, if he takes a night off, they might just go, well, we can't trust you, so let's use X person instead. And he might not even just lose that payday, he might lose several other paydays. 
Glacier, you were so close. <laughs> Man, we could have had that pay-per-view debut. Oh, <laughs> damn it. So this is also where we get to see Nick Patrick come out to the ring in a neck brace, full-on neck brace from his injury from Macho. And he sells it more than Kevin Nash has ever sold a wrestling move in his entire life. I so love the is. neck brace. It is awesome. So yeah, Nick Patrick has, it's not like comically big, but it's one of those classic slightly too big neck braces. means that his chin and the side of his face is kind of scrunched into it a bit. And he's always putting on these faces like every time he moves, he's in agony. He's standing throughout the whole match. One thing that I didn't notice that actually annoyed me is he doesn't do the pinfalls properly. So usually a ref just like completely dives to the ground and he hits the mat hard. One, two, three, and you get that tud, tud, tud noise. And I never realized how enjoyable that noise is because the way Nick is doing it, he's kind of diving on his side and supporting his neck so he doesn't fall too hard. And he very gingerly taps the ground so it barely makes any noise. That irked me. Did you guys find that at all? Well, he's been doing that his whole career, so that's I I've just been used to that. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's really changed that in particular, Dave. But I love Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick is one of my favorite heels from the beginning of what we've watched because there's a lovely progression in his character throughout the nitros. Because this is all the gold you're missing, Dave. You're missing the the <laughs> evil referee promos that you get to watch after a match, <laughs> where he has to explain his actions and how he's treating it. And calling it down the middle. He doesn't have to be wrestling with his... Or refereeing with his neck brace. He cares about justice. And making sure that everything is done fairly. And then he like cheats for different wrestlers. Randomly and so on. But like he, he's gone from having... Being clean shaven. To growing a goatee. Then he adds the neck brace. And then at a certain point... I can't, I can't pinpoint it exactly. But he adds like an earring to his character as well. What I don't enjoy is the announcers having to constantly rehash the same argument over again, which is, is he a fair referee or is he not? I'm like, guys, we, we get it. Like, you don't have to say the same thing every time. What well, they come across uh, as idiots because they never make up their mind. They're always flip-flopping on that one stage, like, get him. Someone come beat him up. Another stage, like, no, oh, that was probably fair. He gets too much attention, unfortunately, in, in all of this. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it kind of weird, though, like... I was like WCW. When you just fire the guy or just tell him not to referee right now? Oh, we we can get to that in the final match. We can get that in the final match. I mean, in fairness, like, do you honestly think WCW as a company would dealing with these wrestlers in the first place? <laughs> I, I think this can all be solved with one story. Haku worked for the company for a year or something without wrestling because Eric Bischoff was too scared to fire him. And these people are a lot bigger than Haku, you know, so maybe he's too scared to fire the NWO at the stage. But yeah, Nick is, a, is the center of a lot of talk by the commentators in this match. Uh, probably as well, as we said, Eddie's injured. It really starts to show late in the match. But I thought the open kind of two and four in this match is great. Eddie comes in hot and it's kind of the angle of the match that DDP has been disgracing Eddie's family. DDP has hidden the ring. So technically Eddie all owns it and D- DDP has stolen it back, but doesn't. it's like a title. He doesn't own it. And uh, DDP keeps saying he hasn't seen it. He hasn't seen it. So Eddie comes in hot, goes after him. You know, after a while, tables are turned. There's a bit of a weird spot where DDP is kind of has the upper hand on the outside. And he keeps shouting at Eddie, get up, girlfriend. What does that even mean? I think DDP is just kind of like trying to figure out something to get the crowd interested. 
Yeah. And he's just trying he's just throwing shit at a wall. He's meant to be like this kind of sleazy, kind of pimpy style character, I think. You don't really get a chance to really get any more out of it because you only ever see him wrestle. So like so far anyway, he hasn't had any promo time really or anything like that. So Yeah. Yeah, I think he's just kind of throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. Poor Eddie. You can see he stops pretty much doing any wrestling near the end even even though like eddie got injured there's still a couple like fun things about this match so i, I do like the spot where ddp pushes nick patrick down and like he does the roll breath and like pointing his finger angrily at him and like ddp does the like cow like yeah, yeah and sorrow and then they they make amends and shake hands I, that was <laughs> yeah, that's of- weird that's weird <laughs> It's funky because it's a bit unique. Mm. Uh, like, you don't see it very often. So, they're right. okay, cool. Yeah, I thought it was going to go somewhere. So, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine the way they had it. But I'm, I'm like, oh, DDP is going to be a sneaky heel and, like, trip the referee up or something. No, they're just mates after that. It's all fine. We see all of a sudden the match kind of falls off. It's a back and forth match. It's typical kind of heel getting the upper hand. Eddie's an angry face. He gets ahead of steam. He gets knocked back down. But then when he hurts his ribs, the match finishes quite abruptly. Connor, do you want to run us through the finish? Go, go around us through the last finish if you want. Sure, yeah. I have it written down here, the, the powerbomb by DDP. Eddie doesn't even make an effort to kick out. DDP just shoves him. But I guess it makes sense of what, what just happened. It was the same kind of like tilt-a-whirl like powerbomb spot in the previous pay-per-view. And then, so, so same thing in the diamond cutter. It was a shitty diamond cutter. So terrible. Well, they make a hames of it on, co- on commentary as well. They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, maybe he blocked it. Like, no, he's just in a lot no. of pain, guys. <laughs> like... To be fair, he takes two spots on his back and stomach, which is probably the last thing you want after you've broken a rib. Like, a brutal end to the match. Brain also completely breaks kayfabe. I love when he points out flaws in the basic fabric of wrestling. So when DDP picks him up for the powerbomb, the kind of tilt-a-royal powerbomb that he does, Brain goes, why doesn't he just do the diamond cutter? That's a good point, Brain. Why do we do all these weird complex moves when we could just throw around finishers all day? Since they're supposed to be our best moves. You gotta power up his, his special meter. Yeah, exactly. So he just picks him up twice and does like normal move in the finisher. And Brain just makes every wrestler that's ever existed feel like the, an idiot. The body parts aren't worn down enough yet, Dave. You have to yeah. get them into the red before it works. Like, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so DDP does win the match. And apparently Nick Patrick has the ring in his pocket. I This never made sense to me. So he gives it back to DDP. and Yeah, they make some deal about not having the ring. Like, oh, he's supposed to give it to Eddie and he never did. And oh, They spent a lot of time on commentary talking about it and I really don't care. I was really looking forward to this match too. And unfortunately, it was just a dud considering Eddie's condition. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, as we were saying, like, he doesn't make any attempt. Once the finishers are done, you can see Eddie is just lying there. And I thought, why Gus researched this is, uh, and we all said it before the cast, it was really weird because they just gave Eddie an actual close match against Flair. So they obviously like Eddie. Then all of a sudden, at the end of a match, he barely does any moves and just gets pinned clean by DDP. That's really weird. And I can tell you that's probably not supposed to be a finish of the match at all. Eddie looked really limp at the end and barely got any offense in for the last, like, five minutes of the match. And it's just because he's in incredible pain. So that kind of sucks. I feel like this could have been a good match. Yeah, it's a bit of a letdown, but all things considered, it's it's fine, I guess. <sighs> fine is actually an understatement. It's a bit of a miracle. <laughs> I, I think yeah. if any of us tried to wrestle on a fever, we'd probably pass out. Like so. <laughs> yeah, you you can also see it. Like the first five minutes is a fine average match, and I'm like, okay, they're wor- they're warming up. This is going to be great, and then it goes nowhere because you know Eddie should have died. <laughs> Next, we go into our Macho Man Monster Truck Slim Jims 
giveaway. I don't know how else to describe this. this. You forgot sweepstakes. That's what sweepstakes. You sweepstakes. Damn it. <laughs> Essentially, it's just a raffle for a monster truck. Mike Tanay presents it. Macho Man comes in. He breaks open a giant like plastic slim gym. Is that what that's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. he snaps it, Dave. Though, make sure he, he snaps. snaps. And oh, I had the name noted down, but I I've missed it. Joan McCallick. McCallick. Yes, McCallick. I hope she got that monster truck. Also, I hope she got that date with Randy Savage. Because yeah. he, he basically asks her for a date in that, the middle of his promo. <laughs> it's, really, it's really weird. He's like, yeah, come pick me up with your monster truck and stuff. I'm like, This is so weird for a character that's like in despair, emotional yeah, distress. Yes. And then we see this. I was like, what is this? This annoyed the fuck out of me. Like, Dave, I'll do the proper intro to the feud for Randy and, and Hogan when we get to the match. But let's just say this this promo is so out of context. Yeah. With the last time you see Randy Savage, it's so painful. Well, even the opening segment, the opening vignette of the of the pay-per-view is how Macho is a shell of a man because of what the NWO was doing. And now he's just jumping all over the place and asking women he doesn't even know out on dates and monster trucks. In his branded gear, let's not forget. Yeah, <laughs> this is a bizarre segment, and I recommend if you're going to watch the paper, uh, if you're going to watch any pay per view, uh, any part of the pay per view, to watch this. To be honest, just because of how bizarre it is, it also goes straight into a CompuServe ad after it. We've got one, and oh. I think every pay per view, and I'm very disappointed because this CompuServe ad is just Jericho sitting there being normal and saying normal things, and that is outrageous. Every other uh, every other person on this has been a stupid madman. We can remember uh, Rick Steiner mashing at a keyboard like he's never seen one before. Like he's a dog that's been allowed to use a computer for a first time. Jericho's just answering fan questions with a normal guy. that He, he doesn't even threaten them. Why isn't a wrestler threatening a normal person? Isn't that what they do in these things? Dave, you're going deep on the computer. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> They're just trying to get their sponsors out of the way, man. Like, <laughs> Way too normal. I can't wait to see who the next CompuServe uh, rep is. <laughs> Jericho, bad job. Thumbs down. They have, like, one of the first internet cast things, though, doesn't it, Connor? Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure, like, what this was. I heard, like, WCW used to do this or something like that, and I, I tried to do more research on this. I couldn't find it. Hopefully, more, maybe more on next episode. As far as I know, it's, like, a radio cast, but they had to start advertising that better because I think the way they advertised it before, it made it sound like you could see the matches, and then people would, like, buy it. Like, why can't I see the matches? Why is this, like, commentary that just gets cut off every now and again? So many years before it's time. We go straight into the amazing CompuServe segment to Dean with a pretty generic promo. Yeah, it's very baby-facey, I, I thought. Yeah, all, all comers will be taking on champ promo, which is, yeah, kind of like, it reminds me of a Chris Benoit title promo. I, I don't really get what Dean is going to accomplish with this, again, with Tanay. What, what did you think of it, Connor? Uh, just too many promos in a row, I thought, and my note I have here is just don't let that man talk. <laughs> he, he's better than Chris. But uh, I'll, not, I'll give you that. I think he's better than Luger, too, but that's not saying much either. Yeah. We're, we're doing currently a better job of cutting a promo than Lex Luger has, has ever done in his life. So The reason he's better than them is he has, like, he has a point and he sticks to it. Yeah, he's telling people he's going to fight him, and then they're like, what about Ray? He's like, yeah, he's a person, I'll fight him. It's essentially the promo. I'll fight anyone. Anyone that's a person. Okay, how about Ray? I said anyone that's a person. Is Ray a person? Yeah, okay, I'll fight him. It's just kind of... It seems like something they could have just done on Nitro. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, what my point was of Don't Let Him Talk was just, like, I like that they build up that he's the Iceman. He just has low emotions. When he comes to the ring, he's just very stone-faced. And it just doesn't seem like a very emotive 
person. So like, I, I like them playing that up more and just having them not talk in that sense. They have so many random managers running around. Could someone not manage Dean? It just seems weird. That would probably give him too much character, I think. Honey, <laughs> <laughs> Long, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we got we got to keep them apart. Honey, yeah. uh, <laughs> Long's too shitty for Dean, though. Dean actually wins matches. <laughs> <laughs> and he gen- like none of his guys do win, do they? <laughs> <It's-> no. <laughs> so we go straight into another interview, but this is one of my favorite things. I think about this pay-per-view, it's an interview with Ted and the Giant in what I'll call the NWO area. The NWO area is just kind of in the crowd. It's a tunnel coming out of the crowd and it's where NWO comes out. If they get their own separate entrances from their own separate area, Ted is always standing there. He always gives them an introduction. So Ted kind of goes through hating Jared for siding with Rick and uh, not them. He says they made him an offer and he went with the WCW instead. Giant, I just have to splice in Giant's bit here. And Giant, what was it? I think the last thing that Jeff Jarrett said to the NWO was, stick it. And that's pretty good advice when you think about it. Because Jeff Jarrett, I'm going to stick you to the wall. I'm going to stick you to the floor. I'll stick you to the ceiling. That's a fight, bro. And when bro. it's all said and done, I'm going to choke slam you right in the middle. When it's all over, there will be no Jeff Jarrett and there will be no horseman. Everybody goes to the glue factory. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what giant, like, I don't know who's feeding him his lines, and it's no wonder. Hulk Hogan tries to make him shut up half the time. It's a reference to where he's going to stick his hand and then a glue factory joke because there's horsemen. Do you think he stayed up at night jotting these down? What was this? Somebody just fed it to him as a joke, I guess. That's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, yeah it could be a rib. They're like, oh, you know it would be great, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Didn't think they'd be so nice to me. <laughs> That is that is like 90% of his stories from WCW. Anytime you hear an interview with him, it's like, what happened? Well, they kept ribbing me, and I got paid a lot less than them. That is like my whole story from WCW. Uh, what I love is it goes straight from the interview with like Ted and Giant to walking to the ring, and they have security with them. It makes them feel a bit like they're in danger, because the commentary talk a lot about them going straight from the arena home. They're just going to leave, which, of course, doesn't end up happening to anyone. But that that is what they keep saying. So I, I thought this was really cool and, like, probably the best thing that's happened in the pay-per-view so far. I, I did love this just because Giant, he looks even bigger when he's coming through the crowd just because he sticks out so much. Yeah, here he does. This is also what solidifies Rick's uh, injury story because Ted DiBiase talks about putting him, you know, on the shelf and stuff like that. And this is what they've done to Rick. Yet again, Rick has just been wooing and strutting backstage two minutes ago. So he doesn't seem too distraught by the whole situation. So Also the belt. You want to mention the yeah, belt? Yeah, I was going to mention that because I was going to ask you, Connor, did you cop that they that he stole the belt when on Nitro? They don't explain it. Because they might... don't explain it at all. It's literally, when once I thought of it, it's... He he takes the belt, like it does happen, he takes the belt when they beat him down in the backstage area, and I think that's meant to be the explanation for why Rick is injured. They try to kayfabe it that way, that they beat him up so badly with the pipe. It's a terrible beatdown as well, because there's really shitty camera angles and stuff. But I think he just takes the belt then, and then nobody says a word about it, 
and then he just appears on the pay-per-view with it. Uh, I guess this makes sense. Yeah, so overall, I think good segment. We're going to see uh, the other NWO guys come out in a similar way, which I really like. So we go straight in. As I said, he comes down, down to the ring. We go into match number three, the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett. This, thank God, only gets about 640, and I think this might be one of the worst matches of the night. Hmm. Yep. I actually didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it's definitely not great. So what do you guys think of his music? Awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, not great. Great. Straight up awful. <laughs> At least it's not as bland as, say, somebody like Jericho, but... <sighs> I think yeah. I'd rather listen to Jericho's. Yeah, Jericho's is great. I'm driving around. My... Right, we're not going to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> driving around. My partner's not shot yet. I don't have to go on a rampage to avenge his death. 80s cop movie. It's fantastic. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, this match doesn't really work. I mean, it's it's basically heel versus heel. And, the, I mean, the crowd, they're not giving any, Jarrett anything. He tries to strut. They, they just boo him. I hate his strut. He does, like, the it's peace bad. sign strut. Why is he throwing peace signs all the time? Because, Dave, he's a Ric Flair ripoff. And he can't do the exact same thing, because then it would be really obvious. <laughs> so they, him and Rick exchanging struts just, like, shows you how bad JJ's strut is compared to Rick's. Like, just how much of a bad ripoff he is. So I, I think the match actually starts off like it should, with Rick and Jared kind of taunting Giant and running around him. And then he tries to just fight Giant straight up and looks like an idiot and just gets thrown about. And he also just keeps trying normal moves like Power Slams. Like, he's not Hulk Hogan. He's not Randy Savage. Jeff Jarrett doesn't look big. Why is he trying to Power Slam him? Yeah, I, want, I wanted to mention that because this is the first time we've seen Giant wrestle somebody this small. Like, he is... Jarrett looks super tiny compared yeah. to Giant. <laughs> yeah. Giant just, like, easily tosses him around. There's one bit where he does a headlock and it really genuinely looks like he might throw him out of the ring when he pushes him off because there's yeah. he's just not used to the weight differential. He's like... Oh, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, even when he does, uh, he does a kick up at one stage where he does the classic big guy. I'll throw you off instead of kicking up, and it looks like he's about to go off, uh, like over the top rope out of the ring. Young Paul White, man, he's an impressive athlete. Like again, I, I give him a lot of credit because I don't think he was taught to wrestle as a big guy for years. Like he's talked about that in interviews later, where until he faces Stone Cold and WWF. No one taught him to be a giant. No one taught him to be a monster. They just taught him how to wrestle. But he's a stupid athlete. <laughs> like, he's stupid strong at this stage in his career. And he comes across in some of these matches. At least the small, like, the big small dynamic, like, made some moves like that are normally boring a little bit more exciting. Because, like, I normally hate bear hugs. But it just looks a little bit better since his feet is off the ground just because he's so short. Yeah, th- this is what I picture... It must have been like to originally watch Andre. Mm-hmm. That that kind of size different. Like Jared is a small wrestler. Is a very small wrestler. It's like when Giant stands next to fans. I'm like, oh my god, he's actually a sideshow. You, you know what I mean? I can see why these guys in the past, like Andre, made so much money in the territories because that is that is something to behold. I don't know if WCW is expecting Jared to get like huge crowd reactions out of this because I mean we see NWO chance Jared like eventually gets like a top rope like crossbody to get Giant off his feet and like the crowd just like we don't give a shit they don't care at all. The Giant is actually I think quite over. If you listen to later in the pay per view when Giant does some other stuff, you can hear the crowd just going that he's the man. Don't mess with like Giant. People actually like him a lot and that's why. We, we were angry before at his treatment. But some bizarre kind of spots in this match. So Flair just runs in with a chair randomly. But he doesn't use it and just leaves the ring. And then later on, I think Flair obviously feels the crowd aren't getting behind Jarrett. So he grabs the mic and just starts shouting 
at Jeff to try and get him fired up and wooing and stuff. He just gets the mic middle of the match, starts screaming into it, and then the, the audience get into it because they love Flair. The minute Flair puts down the mic, they're just all for Giant again. Flair's being desperate at that point. Totally. I, I'd agree also on that point is there's a big uptick in NWO shirts in the crowd. Like, it's oh, really yeah. noticeable. So there's also that to play into. But this match is meh. I, yeah. It's very limited in what they can do. I Like, Paul isn't very experienced. And I really don't like Jared as a wrestler, so... <laughs> no, he's, Jared is also just a very limited wrestler. Like, later on in his career and when he's in WWE, he has some charisma. So he can work crowds and he can get a lot of boos. But uh, you pointed out earlier that he's just not a great face and he doesn't know how to get cheered very well beyond very normal stuff. So I'll run through the finish anyway. They're on the outside. Jarrett locks in a figure four because anyone that's ever worked with Flair has to use the figure four. Anyone that's ever been closely associated with him. This is kind of cool. Giant just reaches over, grabs his neck stands up and goes to choke slam him but flair runs in from behind low blows we get the disqualification and giant kind of just walks out the four horsemen celebrate as if they had just won the world championship it's really weird you missed a very key part dave yeah they missed him doing the low blow on camera oh yeah you do not see that low blow until the replay you just see like all the commentators react and like they're gonna kind of go oh and i'm like i assume flair did something but i didn't see it it's kind of weird and it's kind of weird for flair to get involved like that and then giant just walk off i thought maybe this might lead to a big beatdown of giant and maybe some kind of brawl with a couple of nwo members no he just walks off because he's technically one which makes the face look like morons yeah, I thought, that, I mean, the booking of this match is just, it's awful. I guess that's why I wasn't too down on it. I'm like, what can Jared do with it? Not re- not really much. I, I think he just dealt a really bad hand on his debut match on the podcast. Yeah, I think so. I don't think there's much to work with. A, a better person might have got a better match out of Giant and the whole situation, but it's badly booked. It's thrown together. It doesn't mean much. I don't think it's badly booked, Dave, in the sense, because it's a continuation of the NWO storyline. Because, yeah. like I said earlier, Jared like declares himself wcw and so he's trying to like stand up to them and be accounted for and try to rally people together i i'll i'll give him that like the giant is a little bit better used this pay-per-view than the last one because i thought they did a a horrible job with him but he still doesn't really come across as like a big deal within that uh, group i think what the problem with it is like he's just coming into wcw i mean Jarrett's not really a wcw guy right no yeah, I, th- I think that's like what ruins it for me. I mean, it works with Flair just because Flair has the history. The the territory stuff it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't really matter to WCW. So that's why I said the booking really doesn't work. Yeah, that's fair. It makes sense to me because they're trying to portray the NWO essentially as WWF. So I think that's what they're trying to get at, and maybe it's just a bit too smart for its own good. Yeah, I, I get makes you. sense. So we we go from this into back up to the NWO area with Ted DiBiase where he says something that's 100% true, and it's a win is a win. We'll take them as they come, you know. And then they put over Chris again. So it's Chris against uh, Six is the next match. Ted just keeps calling him a fine young athlete, and they have nothing against him, but it's all business. And Six comes out, and uh, he kind of just reiterates the point. This is the first time we see Six, and why don't you tell us a bit about him, Gus? Uh, So Six is better known as Sean Waltman. Uh, so he'd go on to be X-Pac in the later years. That's probably where most people know him. He gets his break in, I want to say, 93 with WWF at the time. And they bring him in as this super jobber, essentially. He's just called the kid, I think, when he first arrives. And he gets this match on Monday Night Raw with Razor Ramon. 
because back then they used to still do all those jobber matches on their main shows quite regularly he manages to steal a victory off of Razor who's like a big deal at the time he's like had just been the intercontinental champion I think and uh, he's beaten by this guy who's like nobody expects to win so then he gets all a bit of buzz out of it and he he turns himself into the one two three kid and yeah he he kind of is he's there for a couple of years and then I think he just leaves I, I don't think there's any real big fanfare for why he leaves WF it's not like they treat him badly or he treats them like he just kind of mm. decides to go I guess he's kind of a WWF import in a way but it's much more of a loose connection and he proceeds to cut a very very poor promo I think yeah he, he just repeats what Ted says essentially Jericho you're a fine young athlete nothing against you yeah that's just what your manager said yeah, one distinction he does say he, the NWO will claim the cruiserweight title so one thing I guess yeah, that is true and we, we get the they, they get walked down with guards again love it from the NWO area straight to the ring we go straight into the match Hold on, Dave. I actually didn't like this. I, I want to note. I have noted that it's less impressive since Xbox is so small. I, I'm going to call him Xbox from now on. <laughs> Xbox is my boy. He's always been like my boy. He's my boy stable like for my whole life. So yeah. Uh, Gus, going back to the one, two, three kid. I wanted. I wanted to ask. Did he have the same like karate stuff? Yes. That he's yeah, doing? yeah. He, he did. Yeah. A bit more high flying as well. It is. It is very similar. Yeah. I, I did finally find out why he's called six as well because I never knew. Because he he's the sixth member. That's it. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. he's he's technically the sixth member. I count yeah. the NWO staying as the sixth member. So come on, WCW. Yeah. Hope somebody got fired for that one. Kind of name. What's your name? We don't have a. We don't have time. You're number six. <laughs> Can I spell it? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. You do what you want. I can't remember if I told the story on the cast before. I might have so edited it out if I did. But you know that apparently uh, X Pac was the one to come up with too sweet. So uh, apparently it's like a gang sign from, sure. I want to say, Russia. And X-Pac saw some guys doing it and thought it was really cool. So he just starts doing it for, uh, for shows. And then the whole clique kind of picked up on it. So apparently X-Pac is, you know, the one to come up with too sweet. Yeah, Dave, X-Pac's the fucking shit. Back up, my boy. <laughs> wolf, ki- wolf kisses. Why are these wolves kissing all the time? That's all I could see while I was a kid. I'm like, why are they making wolves kiss? Anyway, we go straight into their match, which is Chris Jericho versus Six. We're seeing Six first time on this pay-per-view, first time watching him wrestle. Has he wrestled on one of the Nitros yet? Yes, it was like the Nitro that the NWO like took over Nitro. Kind of a match, but like NWO was just kind of having like funny jobber matches. Yeah. yeah. That was when like the Giant was like the ring announcer too. So it was kind of a funny, it was a decent Nitro. Okay, uh, it, it's a decent match, I think. Some uh, nice early exchanges. I've never been a fan of Six's kind of faux Bruce Lee kind of movements he does sometimes. The whoa. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. I've never been a big fan of that. But I know other people are. That's just like nitpicky. Of note as well, the Dungeon of Doom on the crowd and the commentators show that. Yeah, what uh, the hell is Sullivan wearing? It's like a suit jacket <laughs> and a collared shirt. Yeah. It's, this it's, is the Dungeon of Doom. What is this? It's awkward. And like the Dungeon of Doom have such weird members. So it's Conan and Sullivan. And then, like, it's Big Bubba in the background. I didn't even know he was still in the Dungeon of Doom at the stage. I thought he might have been gone after our first pay-per-view. And, you know, nice touch. They're commenting, oh, maybe they're here to protect Jericho. Because maybe they're, you know, pro WCW. Which, spoilers, does not end up being the being the case. The quickest way to kind of judge if somebody is in the dungeon, Dave, by the way, is if Jimmy Hart's their manager. 
Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Do That's, they have any monsters anymore? Faces of Fear is like the most dungeoning characters. I do love Faces of Fear. Faces of Fear are just legit scary people opposed to someone in a leprechaun yeah. costume, though. Well, yeah, I think the leprechaun at this point it got dropped immediately because I think people were obviously <laughs> complaining about it. Well, he has not been on TV, that's for sure. <laughs> so but back to the match. I like uh, Jericho does his uh, normal slaps the shit out of six. Yeah. And Tony, oh, uh, I-, I like his nice little uh, knowledge here. He calls it a slap shot. And he kind of recounts the NHL career of his dad. His dad actually did play in the NHL, so that was kind of cool. And then Brain completely shits on his dad for getting traded again and again and again, which is <laughs> it's kind of harsh because it's it's true. This isn't kayfabe and making fun of hockey players. This is actually just making fun of Jericho's dad's patched hockey career. I, I think I think the match is actually quite nice as much as our rag on X Pac. It's a well put together match. I don't actually have that many spots picked out. I have a very nice mid-air dropkick by Jericho. But do you guys have any anything that stands out of the match? The signature spinning heel kick in the corner. Not that it was like awesome or anything. It just reminded me of the old days of like the WCW video games. That I was like, oh yeah. I remember doing that move on my opponents in the video game all the time when you got him in the corner. And over. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, does, he does do that very well. So uh, do you want to run through the ending, Connor? Yeah, I love the ending because it's a kind of like a series of slow counts that kind of builds and builds. Lion Salt by Jericho tries a bunch of quick pins and Patrick just can't keep up with the quick action. Spinning heel kick from X-Pac. Patrick does a faster count, not super fast, but six wins. And of course, Jericho is furious at Patrick. Patrick embraces six and they help each other to the back. I love it. I, th- I thought the mat, like as far as execution for the match as a whole, story-wise and just kind of physically too, I thought was great. I didn't really have much on this. Like, it's a fine match. It, it does more to kind of set up more Nick Patrick sh- heel shenanigans. Yeah. It's kind of, like, it's just a showcase for that. And Six, just to show that he can wrestle and show people like, oh, here's another person. He's probably going to be going for the Cruiserweight title really soon because yeah. that's what they're planning to do is take all the belts. So Yeah, it's nice to have the NWO. It's, uh, oh, a member that can wrestle in the NWO. Cool. I mean, yeah. obviously, Scott Hall can wrestle, but they don't like to showcase him for some reason. Yeah, I, I think altogether, not bad. It's a little forgettable. Like, there's not many highlights, but I think you're right. It does get the story ac- across. R- running into the next interview segment, we get to Nay with Luger. We went over a bit on the Nitro uh, recap, what happened, but Aaron's been badgering Luger since he passed out, but he lost in war games, and Aaron's been on his business for that. Luger gives an interview with Tanae here saying, you know, I'm sick of people doubting each other. I'm sick of WCW kind of doubting each other. I'm here to fight Arn. And it's kind of a very normal Lex Luger promo. And anything you guys have to say about it? Normal? Were you not listening to this? Oh, man. <laughs> Lex talks about Arn is making a garden, but it's not going to be a fruitful garden. It's going to be a garden of cactus. And I think it's meant to be bad things, but Luger forgets the rest of the promo. <laughs> it's, That's what I said. Normal Luger promo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. I don't understand where he's going with it. He, he manages to get one thing across. And it's only because he's, like, so angry at Arn, And it's the prevailing point. I think he kind of even just stumbles into it. Is that nobody's in charge of the WCW side. The reason the NWO was so strong is because Hogan might be a bit of a douche. Doesn't seem to justify it. But he's on top. He's the one who says what goes. Everybody follows accordingly. Meanwhile, everybody's running around like headless chickens. And now, Arn and Lex, who are meant to be two of the more 
veteran guys and probably should know what they should be doing are too busy having a wrestling match against each other than to worry about NWO. So I think that's the one thing you can take from this promo and that Lex's analogies are top notch. <laughs> Gus, well done. Breaking down the Luger promo. <laughs> I, I would like to go on record. But when I say Luger promo, it's exactly what I mean. It's nonsense. Like when I say a typical Randy promo, he could be talking about all sorts of weird crap and spinning around and shouting at random people that passed by. Luger promo's bad. Randy promo loud. I guess I was about <laughs> to name a lot of other wrestlers at the time, but it all comes down to they're also awful. Chris, Hogan. I guess I, if I said typical Flair promo, it would mean wooing. You just expected 90, 90% wooing. But yeah, it's a good breakdown of what's said in the promo. Uh, we, we go straight into a match afterwards. Uh, is this the first time we hear Lex's music? Yes, this was the, I had this written down. And man, it is so shitty. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say that because I was like, man, do you like this music? Woo! What? Come on, give me more credit than that. But yeah, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it's so shit. I think it's okay by WCW standards. It's recognizable and different, at least. Is, is what uh, I can. You mean it's so shitty you can't not hear it? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to see Luger on as a kind of on of his own right now. Yeah, and as for the match itself, they do this kind of weird thing where they're both kind of trying to take a personal, and they both work each other's backs, which I've never seen. Just both of them like taking out the same body part on the other person. Lex obviously has the the rack to finish the match, and that's why he's working the back. And Arn's doing it because it's established that Lex had had his back hurt previously. So Arn's just going to it and being a bit cerebral about it. It's also kind of his finisher, the spine buster. Kind of. I don't think I've ever seen him actually finish a match. I thought the, I thought the DDT was his finisher. Oh, maybe it's the DDT, yeah. He's more of an old school guy who just kind of wins with random stuff, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever it is, Arn makes up for it by trying to do the Luger taunt. He does like the flex. Fucking yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Love it. As much as I like the match, the commentary descends the nonsense. The Bula Bula talk. Tony, I asked you a question and Bobby, Bobby went off on a, on a tirade. Yes, uh, about the tradition and, and, and everything that's been between these two guys here. And we're seeing it. I told you off, I know when I said Bula Bula. I don't know where Bula Bula is. You never seen that. You never. <laughs> Bula Bula ain't no place. Good. It's like, it's like something that just happened. You know? Buddy Holly told his girlfriend that one time. She said, I'm going to school. You ain't going with me. And he said, well, Bula Bula. That's where I got that from. I don't know where it starts. I don't really know what it means. I've looked up different definitions of the internet. I think it might be slightly racial. I don't know. I don't know why Dusty brings this up, but he just says it continuously throughout this match. It's like, what is this I, I hope it's just other nonsense. Listeners, uh, please let us know what, what, what Dusty is trying to talk about. I got different ex- explanations off the internet. I don't, I'm not a, a 100% sure. But I'm quite sure Dusty doesn't know what Dusty's talking about. Mostly, the only spot that really got me is, you know, they, they, knew, they do some nice work on each other's backs. They make it look pretty real. Iron Spinebuster, I'll point it out in every match I see it. One of the most fine Spinebusters I've seen in the business. Anything that sticks out to you guys particularly in the match? One thing I guess I did like, I did like the, the response to the, the taunt. Like, Luger flexes and he gives him a gorilla press slam. Good job by Lex, I thought. He really impressed me. Uh, this match because I'm not a huge Luger fan I thought he really showed me something this match Arn makes everybody look good so I guess that's why well I think that's the thing I think Luger can actually work decently with the right guys in a limited capacity WWF tried to push him so much and he never came across but I do remember some of his WCW stuff just being decent and I think Luger does some good stuff in the company this is like probably the second best match on the card maybe 
Uh, would you like to run through the finish first, Gus? Uh, to be honest, I can't really remember the finish. It's that I think it's a bump, right? It's a ref bump. Yeah, we get a ref bump in between the turnbuckle. Aaron misses with a chair shot in it initially. Uh, after a comeback, Lex gets the chair and then works Aaron's back with some pretty stiff shots with the chair. And then Lex wins with a torture rack once the ref is back up. He holds it for a impressive amount of time, too. Yeah, Aaron taps out and then uh, Lex holds it as the crowd cheers. Now, I know this is kind of a vengeance. This is like a personal vendetta kind of match. But I never like the face holding the hold that's injuring someone. I don't know. I mean, again, it, it plays into the what happens immediately afterwards. He hasn't really had any so- sort of like give or take with Arn. Arn has just been kind of catching him when he's off guard and stuff. So this is really the first time he gets a chance to get his own back. So I don't know. It's it's fine. It's not like he runs him over or anything. So <laughs> I, I think it's all right. Like it's, it's just like, don't you forget about what happens. Like you'll remember this for a while because I, I made sure to beat you kind of thing. So one point I forgot to put across the dungeon is still in the crowd for this one. And through the match is cheering to rock him, rock him Lex, rock him. And then they cheer and applaud when uh, Aaron taps out. So when you have the bad guys cheering for a good guy, that's making a tweener submit. I don't know. I don't know who's a good guy anymore. Well, Dave, I mean, Luger's been, like, throughout the whole year, Lex has been kind of been tweener-ish fair, as well. Fair. He was actually in the dungeon, sort of, at one point. Even I think it was the, the, the Halloween Havoc the year before where he kind of turned. <laughs> so th- there's th- there's at least a history. I mean, obviously, it's so weird to cut back to Kevin Sullivan and tell him to rack him. I don't know why they're there. I mean, <laughs> it, it, comes, it comes into play for the next match. But, yeah, for the other matches, I don't know why they're cutting to him at all. I thought it was fine. It just... All the WCW guys, they're just pissed off. They're frustrated. Boiling but over. T- yeah, Boy, yeah, boiling over. Luger doesn't know what to do anymore. He's kind of mentally just kind of spent. He's just gone through a lot of different things with either the horsemen staying in the dungeon. So it, it is weird to have a face have like a kind of devastating submission move. But in this feud, I, I loved it. Probably the stretcher spot, bringing Arn on a stretcher is kind of probably too far. I don't think it really needs to go that far. I, again, I think it, he's only stretchered for the next match. That's, I think that's all it is. Yeah, that, that does make some sense. I do give the match a decent rating. I, I, I love Aaron, and I think Lex does a good job in the match. Yeah, it's, solid. it's a solid match. I mean, if this, this is like a good archetype of like a grudge feud type match, I think this is a good uh, good example of this kind of match. I mean, there's barely any near falls in the match, I noticed. It's, they're just trying to hit the crap out of each other. So, love it. Yeah, so next we go to Lee Marshall again, our favorite Tiger. Backstage, he reminds us that uh, Sting isn't here, but we could call the hotline to find out where Sting is. That's a lie. We get an interview segment with Harlem Heat here. This interview isn't great. I I like Booker's bit. I think Booker comes across as like always abrupt and tough in these interviews, but everyone else involved in it is just superfluous, I think. What what do you think of O'Connor? It's pretty much the same I have written down. I I love how he tells Lee to shut up and... Calling the outsiders wannabe thugs. is That's kind of like a, a theme in the pay-per-view. Uh, Bischoff is just calling them thugs, I guess, how to describe them. of The guys that you hate, whatever. This feud's kind of weird, though. The build-up has been definitely weird for it, and uh, we'll go into it as once we get into the match, actually. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Can th- we can talk about it a bit, because they're not the next match. The next match we get is Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit representing the Horsemen with Woman and Deborah against the Faces of Fear. This is the first time we actually see the Faces of Fear uh, representing the Dungeon of Doom on our pay-per-view. They've been on the pre-card, I think, of a couple of them. 
but they haven't actually been on the pay-per-view yet. And this gets about nine and a half minutes. This is, you're missing out again, Dave, because these guys are on Nitro a lot. <laughs> and it's great. I actually will go on record. There's a lot of tag teams I live in WCW. I think Faces of Fear are great. I don't know if I'd call them a great tag team. At least 80% of my love is because of, of Meng. <laughs> Meng, for the viewers that maybe haven't heard that name before, is Haku. And Haku maybe is the scariest wrestler of all time. Not because of stuff he does in the ring, apparently in the ring, very nice guy to work with, very, not very stiff at all. But just every story you hear about a wrestler being tough and beating up a bunch of Marines because they said that wrestling was fake, is just Haku. And on top of that, Haku gets people saying racial slurs to win bars, where he then breaks every bone in their body. So he is by far, the, the general sentiment is he's like one of the toughest wrestlers of all time. And there's a lot of like cool stories to, to hear about him. So we come into the match. This is, again, a kind of continuation of a feud. The Dungeon of Doom and the Horseman feud has kind of been on the back burner. So it's not the main thing happening anymore. They're still kind of resolving it. But the NWO has taken front and center for everything. But now that neither of them are fighting any kind of NWO members, we get this match. Connor, what what do you think of the match? I was actually pleasantly surprised by it. As Gus said, uh, Face of Fear, they're on Nitro a bunch. So same thing with Mongo. Like we don't, we haven't really seen him since Bash at the Beach. I don't think he has really much action on Nitros as well. So no, he really doesn't. So it was, it was a good time to get everybody involved with something. I mean, obviously Benoit is kind of the workhorse of the company. So he's always going to be involved. But I did love the dynamic of Mongo and Mang facing off. The uh, the sumo spot, I, that, I got a kick out of that. That was that was kind of fun. Tried to shove into each other. Meng actually wins the sumo battle. Yeah, he, he's actually, I think both of them are trained sumos. Both of the faces of fear are actually trained sumo wrestlers. Really? Huh. You were talking about the sumo spot. So we get, a, I think it's Meng versus um, Michaels for the sumo spot. It's like sumo versus American wrestling stance. An American, sorry, uh, football stance. And then later, you know, he wins the sumo spot and later Michaels wins the football spot by chop blocking him. And while this is going on, Dusty says this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chop block, chop block. Yeah, take that sumo. Take that sushi back home. Again. So a lot of uh, just cultural sensitivity there out uh, out of the commentary team. Because, of course, there's an American football player and someone that might be foreign in the ring. We know. We know who the American commentary team are cheering for. Yeah, what I was most surprised with, too, was the awesome teamwork by Faces of Fear. So probably like the spot of the the night probably for me is... So Meg Beck body drops Benoit and Barbarian catches him in midair, like for like midair power bombs yep. him. Like, yep. holy crap. Like, it's, it's such a good move. It's weird seeing the heels, like, do a sweet team-up spot like that, though. That is, like, one of the more impressive double-team moves I've seen, even in modern wrestling. People have double-team finishes that are less impressive than this random spot that these guys did in the match. I thought that was so cool. Benoit takes so much damage from them in this match. So Benoit does the stupidest thing you can ever do to a Samoan or Tongan wrestler. You headbutt them. And it's this weird kayfabe <laughs> thing that Islanders can't be headbutted and it just always hurts your head instead. And that's exactly what happens. He tries to headbutt one of them and then he goes down. Uh, he gets this back body drop into a power bomb done to him. He gets a double diving headbutt. So each of them go to a different corner, come off, double diving headbutt. And it still doesn't put Benoit away. I'm like, how is that not the finish to the match? That was incredible. Like, that was really cool. These are big guys as well. So I think that was really good. I've got to give credit to uh, 
to Benoit because Benoit I think pretty much does most of this match and I think he does a really really good job putting over the the heel team and then just kind of giving good heat spots and also saving Mongo from him having to be in the ring too long yeah so I think it's a much better match because Chris is in there I do think the faces of fear are underrated as a team they work quite well together it's just solid power spots they know what kind of team they are. Meng never sells for anybody. No, no one's ever going to ask him to either. I mean, the finish of the match is probably the only time he sells. And even then, he barely lies on the ground for three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right up. Yeah. And he gets right back up and starts wailing on whoever is in front of him. Like, Yeah, it's, it's, so. it's great. Afterwards, we get a big beatdown by the Dungeon of Doom on the Four Horsemen. It gets pretty brutal, and we get uh, Nancy trying to save Benoit again, stepping in between Benoit and Sullivan. And it gets kind of creepy again. It gets very dirty, right? Am I, am I wrong in saying this? It gets very kind of personal and a lot of shots and kind of threatening Nancy a little bit. Yeah, he says, remember who the man is to woman. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it got very kind of nasty. Now, maybe they meant it to be that way. Maybe there's nothing personal to read in behind it. But it got very nasty. And it looked convincing. This is the first, like, I, I'm giving out about the dungeon having these kind of not grimy members. And now we're seeing a real mean streak in them. And that's back in their character, back in their wheelhouse. How common knowledge is it that she's his wife at this point? I don't know. But it's not, it's not still. Yeah, because I know, I know it's meant to play into the feud a little. And I, that's where the man thing is coming from. It's still creepy as shit. Like, I, I assume he's meant to be, like, the jealous husband's type but it's kevin sullivan so he's completely mental and he's so it looks so weird when he's like slowly taking off his shirt too it's like ooh, <laughs> intimidating kelvin sullivan oh no yeah he's the least intimidating man that's ever Intim- been in a wrestling intimidating game. my wife by stripping for her it's just <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean and this is where the iron bit pays off because iron isn't there to come out and help because that's what iron would do he would obviously try and help the guys but they're they're being completely outnumbered I wonder where Flair is. Did they explain they go off and party or something? No, maybe it was just tending to Arn being hurt, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think they do say he got in the ambulance with Arn. Yeah, I, I, I love the psychology of this match. I, I, I do like that the four horsemen, they had to do like really brutal things to win the match because like they had to hit him with a briefcase. Yeah. Benoit uh, wins the match with the fine headbutt. So that's finally getting that move over as well. So I, th- I think I like everything all around with this match. Both teams are over, and it's finally what the Dungeon of Doom should be doing, and these are the right guys to push for the dungeon as well. Yeah, yes. I, do, I do like that Benoit's flying headbutt finishes, but the double flying headbutt by the two Tongan lads, that doesn't finish because it's just broken up by Michael. So at least there's no clean kick-up. If Benoit just kicks up from that, then the actual finish of the match is probably a little bit compromised. Michael's does have to come in and break it up. I think it's a good match anyway. It's it's good fun and like two solid teams, two regulars. Yeah. I think that, that bears noticing like these guys are on Nitro quite a bit. It's a bit more obvious who they are and what their kind of characters are. So like they're the horsemen. They're like the kind of fan favorites, even though they're not, not faces really. And then the faces of fear are just two absolute motherfuckers that will beat the shit out of you, including their bizarre uh, skull mask gear, which it's was so cool. kind of kind of cool and also really shit at the same time it's like paper mache skulls onto your jacket it's like i don't have the technology to do this properly so i'll figure it out somehow but like i'm not gonna say that to them because they'll batter me uh (laughs) but yeah no i I really enjoyed it it's a good match i think yeah i was pleasantly surprised because i knew 
I had heard of the faces before. I thought they didn't have the best reputation, though they just end up being great wrestlers and also just actual cool double team working together on their own together kind of moves. Did not expect that out of them. And I really enjoyed this match. So we just go back after this match and after the brutal beatdown. I say brutal. There wasn't many like big chair shots or something, but it just came across a lot of people beating up two guys and threatening women. So it came across quite brutal. We go back up to Ted, who says the score. They're winning. They're on the scoreboard. Still nil, zero wins for the WCW. And they introduce the outsiders who come down to the ring. And to me, this is the fight of the iconic team songs. We get Harlem Heat in the next match versus The Outsider. I think the two most memorable team songs from this era, the NWO, very cool music. Harlem Heat still some of my favorite wrestling music of all time. That's my first note here. Battle of the Iconic Team Songs. So, Dave, there was a, a little bit that uh, happened in the build of this match. Gus, do you want to go over the uh, awesome uh, <laughs> swapping of the tag team belts? So, that yeah, we, uh... for... There was a tag title match, Dave, on Nitro. Yeah. On the... The 23rd of September, so it's about a month before the pay-per-view, Public Enemy are given a title shot, and I can't even remember if there's a good reason for why they get this title shot. They magically somehow managed to win the titles. and everyone's... It's a screwy finish, right, with Nick Patrick, I think? I think so, yeah. Public Enemy win the match, and they win the belts. On commentary, they're like, oh, so these are going to be our representatives to go up against the Outsiders, and I'm like, that's a bit shit. Also, I'm pretty sure I read that Harlem Heat are wrestling them. And uh, so, lo and behold, it's like a week or two later, uh, they have a rematch on Saturday Night Thunder, and the Harlem Heat regain their tag belts through nefarious means, I'm assuming. As far as I saw from a little bit of research, it's just kind of their quest for all the titles, and there doesn't have to be much of a build-up. It's what you do after you get the titles, I guess, and if you keep feuds going, that matters. But if you just go, I'm a a stable, I want all the titles, that means I hate you because you got the title, that's fine. I think that's a fine way to build a match. So when we hit the ring, we straight away get a bit of a fuckery by National Hall as they steal the titles. And I think there's a super normal response. I kind of think that faces look like idiots when they like run after the title. Harlem Heat are just kind of like, hey ref, get them to put down our titles. This isn't cool. We're, we're just here to wrestle. And they just do. And I thought that was kind of nice. I don't know what, what you guys thought, if that's just a throwaway thing. To be honest, like I'm completely behind Harlem Heat are the heels in this match. They act like a heel team. They are a heel team. That's how it's booked. Big Kev and Scott are the complete faces in this match. And the crowd loved them. The crowd They're do love them. mental for them, yeah. There's yeah. diesel chance they even start. Yeah. <laughs> Though the crowd for a long time are way more occupied than a, by a fight in the crowd than they are by the actual wrestling match. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, there's just at one point, like, everybody's just standing around. And it's on the hard camera side, so it's really hard not to see it. Yeah, you can't see it, but the commentators comment on it and everyone looks over. It actually kills a bit of the buzz about the first couple minutes of the match because the crowd just aren't making any noise because they're busy looking at people fighting, actual people fighting. So that I thought that was a little bit funny. There's also an early spot that I want to ask you guys about. So Booker T hip tosses, um, I think it's Hall out of the ring. Probably Hall, yeah. If it's out of the ring, it's definitely Hall. <laughs> yeah, fair. So he hip tosses him out and then the commentators ask as if it's illegal. Like, oh, did he throw him out? Yeah, Dave, because at the time, I don't know if they ever really truly get rid of it, but if you throw your opponent over the top rope, it's meant to be a DQ. Really? Yeah. What? That This is a WCW rule which gets instituted in, like, 1992, and then it will randomly, like, come up in 
matches like this where they'll go they'll mention it but yeah as far as I know they never actually got rid of the rule so every now and again it kind of gets trumped out this fucking company (laughs) (laughs) you can blame Bill Watts for this Bill Watts like came in as the booker of the company in like 92 and he tried to turn it around by turning it into old school wrestling and he wanted to ban people from like jumping off the top rope and everything there is like a bit of continuity behind that that's not a random thing yeah, I was about to say they, they don't mention anything else about it. Am I missing something? But that that's good to know because they do make a bit of a big deal out of it and then they have to talk about it. No, Nash like bounced, and hit, which he didn't. He just got tossed out. So they obviously, the wrestlers have obviously forgotten it's a rule. And like, no, yeah, Hall like bounced. Shitty rule. Uh... <laughs> it's used nowhere else. That's the thing. These guys have worked other places and they're probably working very similar matches in different places. So for it just to be random different rules must be very frustrating. But that, that was just something I wanted to ask you guys if you knew anything about. I, I think you are actually right, Gus. I was looking at Harlem Heat as the f- kind of faces because they're default WCW. But Hall and Nash are getting way more over. And it's impossible for Harlem Heat not to get heat. They've got heat at every pay-per-view we've got. We yeah. get an early spot with uh, Hall where he does his, uh, his spooky finger thing, I think he calls it. He spits at... Um, Booker. Stevie Ray. Oh, yeah, because then he tags in Nash. I know it's a bit gross, but I love the spitting spot because you can feel how mad someone would be. Like you, If someone spit at you, you would be so mad. So I Yeah, think and Dave, speaking of like, the production crew, they did a way to encapsulate the moment. They did a nice close-up of Stevie Ray. All right, <laughs> WCW, all right. Production value. I, I wouldn't be surprised if as they did that, they missed four or five moves somewhere, somehow. Oh, no, sure, yeah. Yeah, but I, saw, I I did see that actually, and it was a nice nice moment, and it builds some nice heat on Scott. So maybe they are trying to get booed a little bit. The Harlem Heat have this atomic heat on them at all times since we start watching, which means they're doing their job right, I guess. Like you're saying, Dave, like they're the heel team because they follow the formula. I think it's actually uh, Nash does a lot of it. To be fair to him, he's the kind of face in peril. He gets double teamed a lot. It gets cut off for a while, and then they switch to Hall. It's actually following a really good formula. It's I think yeah. it's a really good match. I don't know if there's any particular spots that stand out to me. Well, there's there's one main one that we need to mention. Uh, when Sister Sherry was on the apron, yeah, she slaps Hall, and then Hall grabs Sherry, and uh, Hall gives her a little kiss. <laughs> I have two notes about this. Why isn't that a disqualification straight up? Hall just got slapped. Yep. Uh, don't know just <laughs> just isn't this is a very normal stop uh, a spot like the heel woman manager getting kissed by the face that happens a lot i'm just saying society wise i don't know if we should applaud a woman getting kissed against her will i don't know if i feel comfortable anymore applauding or cheering for that as, as yeah, a person Dave, it's the mid 90s <laughs> this is the uh, yeah, you got you got to remember what time it is. <laughs> I, I do, I do. And, and, uh, we have more awkward moments, way more awkward moments than oh, this God, going yeah. forward. So <laughs> I can't remember much of the next bit of the match because uh, my eyes were just on Sherry, basically trying to rip off her tongue, acting as if <laughs> she had just drank acid. It was pretty overplaying the kiss. I'm actually going to give props to Stevie Ray. He did a gorilla press slam. Oh, yeah. Through Hall into Nash. That actually surprised me. That actually might be one of my spots of the night as well. Yeah. One of my favorite finishers of all time is done here. The Harlem Hangover is one of the coolest finishers, I think, out there. One, because it looks great. Two, because you never know if Booker's going to crush someone's throat. It's (laughs) It's a really dangerous finish. I actually feel nervous every time I watch it. But it looks like a million books. When he lands it. It's probably why they don't do it very often either. Yeah. No, they don't. And it keeps it special. I know they don't do it because it's dangerous a lot. 
but it keeps it super special and you only really ever see it at pay-per-views. It's a close finish there, but the ref gets distracted. It kind of just melts down into turmoil after then. The colonel comes in to try and uh, help Harlem Heat. He's going to hit Nash with the cane. Nash just grabs it and grabs the colonel, demands the cane. Colonel's a coward, gives the cane. I can't remember who gets hit by the cane. Is it Stevie Ray? Stevie Ray, I think Stevie Ray. Nash wails on him. Nash hits him like twice with it until it breaks. Then there's like a slow cover for the win. But it's building the seeds of them dropping the colonel in the future. We'll see that on the Nitros coming up. I think it's a decent finish for the match. It doesn't bury Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat are going very strong at the moment. You can see that. You can see that they have faith in them. And they don't want just the NWO to clean win over them. So more more shenanigans while building a further story for Harlem Heat. More continuity. Who, who knew? Overall view of this match, guys. Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? I didn't like the end as much as you did. I, yeah. I thought the overall match was, was fine. I'm kind of bummed that, that we're not going to see any more Harlem Heat championship matches anytime soon. So I'm a little bit, a little bit bummed because I don't think they ever win the titles back. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with Connor here. I don't like that ending at all. It just doesn't seem to work, especially in the context with the way it's been. They've been very facey, and then all of a sudden they just cheat. It's a bit odd. I thought the way they had booked this match, I haven't looked that far ahead. I thought they might start doing better stuff with them as a tag team because I've said that I hate the Colonel as a manager. One, I hate when someone has two managers. Makes no sense to me. And two, the racial undertones. just They, they don't sit right with me. <laughs> Please make him dress a different way. So I'm pretty glad he's gone. I, uh, as a counterpoint to the cheating to win, why I don't mind it as a finish is because they didn't introduce the weapon. They were about to get attacked and they just used the weapon that was in the ring yeah. against uh, I them. I can see that you're gripe for sure, but I think it's a bit better than them, you know, just sliding a chair in and hitting one of them. Yeah. We're getting to the point where we're having a little too many screwy finishes for my liking. I think it was like maybe the last pay-per-view we had mostly clean matches and then like two one or two screwy finishes this is like what three it's more than that I think (laughs) (laughs) I mean Giants match doesn't end right and you can argue then like the Luger Iron one has all the the ref bump as well so yeah that too because there's chair shots and that so that's this is at least the fifth shady finish of the night yeah and we're also not done so Uh, (laughs) it's Russo must be booking this pay-per-view or something yeah live by satellite (laughs) I'm gonna be amazed when a main event ends without shenanigans we're gonna mark it we're gonna make we're gonna make special celebration music for when there's a clean finish to a pay-per-view. I'm not sure I'd bother making the music then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dave, I told you about Starcade 97. You're not going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after this match, we get a weird ad for World War Three. I assume the person in it is a celebrity at the time. I have no idea who they are. Do you guys have an idea? Not a clue. There's like a weird zany ad. It doesn't really matter much. I think it's some kind of minor celebrity in it doing a weird voice. I'm totally looking forward to that pay-per-view though. Yeah, me too. Are you guys being, like, sarcastic, man? No, I, I, I'm being sarcastic in the sense that, like, it's such a shitty gimmick that I can't wait to see how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, bit of a nonsense throwaway ad, and we get our first sighting of Hulk Hogan with his glorious new haircut, I would say. Uh, he has, like, short crop top on top. He's grown all his hair back all of a sudden overnight. And he's talking about how he's Hollywood Hogan, and he's just back from making movies. Santa Claus with muscles look, looked it up. Got it in front of me on IMDb. It has like 2.4 stars out of 10. 
So an above average Hulk Hogan movie. I don't even think it's that film. It was Three Ninjas. Yeah, it's Three Ninjas, Dave. Yeah, yeah. He says Santa Claus with muscles in the in the promo. I think they were close together, but I know I know he he references being on the set of Three Ninjas because there was a promo where they were actually on a movie set, and that was the movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, that that's fair. He has he does a promo from the set. So okay, okay, okay. Just 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 to set the stage of how zany this feud has been. (laughs) Yeah. So he's talking about being Hollywood. He comes down to the ring. The The giant is with him, and Ted DiBiase is with him coming down. Uh, we got Mike uh, Buffer, has to do very little work, gets paid money to announce one match every time. And we get the unfortunate, when Mike is done announcing Hulk, they just play Macho's mu- uh, Sorry, when Mike is in the middle of announcing Hulk, we just get Macho's music hitting, and they have to stop and restart Macho's music because Buffer is still doing his thing. So that's a little bit annoying. I know that, that must really irk you, Connor. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's like what I was saying in the beginning. Like, we've had some, like, decent uh, production touches by WCW, and then there's then there's this shit. Dumb, of... dumb, yeah. Yeah, so after this, Macho comes out. And to add to the festivities, he summons a monster truck. A Macho Man monster truck with a big <laughs> Macho Man hat. Because I think they must have bought monster trucks in six packs or something like that they just don't know what to do with them anymore but this is a macho man monster truck and i don't get the relevance of him bringing it out we we commentated earlier on the slim jims thing in the middle of the pay-per-view being really bad and breaking up the whole point of it is macho man being disheveled and a shell of himself and getting attacked from different angles and elizabeth shenanigans happening because you know hulk hogan's involved and now he's happy-go-lucky and he summons a monster truck (laughs) why well, that's uh, that is the monster truck he's given away. <laughs> we have to see it, I guess. It has to be proof it exists. That woman, Joan McCallick, has that monster truck. <laughs> I hope she still has it. I hope somewhere she's she's oh, an a- aging woman that's refused to give up her monster truck. Oh, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know if you still have it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Or if anybody knows, please, please. Yeah, they, they must be contractually obligated to like have monster trucks on Halloween Havoc pay-per-views. It's two years in a row with monster trucks for some reason. Monster but, trucks I, are spooky. I, it's haunted. I don't I, know. I, sure. So, yeah, Liz does not come out with Macho. And, uh, Gus, I have to throw to you. <laughs> you have to explain this awesome uh, build-up with Liz. and. So we have to go back to War Games at the very end of the, pro- of the pay-per-view uh, after NWO have won. And Elizabeth is trying to show pity and sympathy for her ex-husband. And she basically puts her body over Macho Man's to stop him from being beaten up by the NWO. So the next night on Nitro, or maybe a couple of Nitros, Elizabeth is is shown all of a sudden that she's in the NWO hotel. Because the NWO doesn't even come to Nitro, Dave, by the way. Like, they show up whenever they please, but they still have segments. But they're in, like, a hotel room... Or they're in a limousine. And they've been telling people that they're soliciting offers for people who wish to join the NWO. And then they're discussing contracts with different people. Uh, the Nasty Boys are one of the, one of the groups. Because of Hogan says... Of Hogan's like, oh, you're my... You're two of my best friends. You've always had my back. So let's try and figure something out. In the middle of this, Elizabeth shows up. And you're like, what's going on? And I don't think it ever gets fully explained exactly why she's there. But I think the the sentiment is that Elizabeth is too afraid. She doesn't want to be out there anymore because of all the beatdowns and all the, the harm that's coming to all of her friends. She agrees to some sort of contract. It's not fully explained, but it appears to be that she, she'll be protected 
so long as she doesn't get in the way kind of thing as she's leaving <laughs> the hotel room we get this lovely shot of the ho- of the hotel corridor which is in black and white and she maybe walks 10 steps down the line before a full sprint randy savage comes round the corner and immediately starts hurling abuse at elizabeth Poor because elizabeth. he's so upset and couldn't believe what she's doing and she's just like cowering in front of him and she doesn't know what to do and blah blah and this is the end of a nitro uh it looks like randy's about to try and burst into a room of 12 guys and expect to beat up everybody but so we're left with that nothing more is said and then the next nitro randy is due to come on come on to the nitro and have a match but he only gets down to the rampway when eric stops randy and he's like look randy i know you won't talk to her She's been trying to reach out to you. You you won't listen to her calls. You won't talk to her in person. So she felt that she needed to do this because she needed to tell you what's going on. And they wheel out a CRT TV and proceeds to play this clip, which they then promo into. And it's a promo from Elizabeth sitting on a on a swing, which is being held by a tree by a lake. And she's... <laughs> she's wearing like denim jeans and just a very plain white shirt to be this kind of like everyday girl type appearance i think is the is the deal and she pleads with randy to be like look i i didn't want to get in the way i fear for your safety and i know that we're not together anymore but i still care about you and i don't want them to hurt you and you shouldn't do this eric being the dickhead commentator (laughs) keeps pressing randy for an answer to what she's talking about so he never answers eric and he he walks through the side side of the backstage area there's magically a white limousine waiting for him uh which he just gets into the back of without even knowing who's there you know as you do i mean i guess i guess it was his limo so he just leaves nitro everyone's like oh my god what's what's happened to randy randy has to forfeit some match because he's meant to be wrestling then and the next week eric comes out again and randy appears we all know what Randy looks like from this period. Randy likes big, loud colours. So when Randy appears, there's something wrong. Because Randy is wearing all black. And not just any old regular black. It's all leather black. <laughs> <laughs> and Randy, in order to try and put over the pay-per-view and this upcoming match and how much it's it's done to him, proceeds to essentially tell the world at large and everybody who's watching Nitro... That he's going to kill Hulk Hogan. He rambles on about it in a couple of different ways, but he leaves with the with the sentiment. And, and that's yeah, I believe the- his I believe his line is relationships, friendships are fragile, and Hogan so is life. <laughs> that's how they build this pay per view. Build this pay per view match. Hogan has a couple of promos and he puts them down and stuff. But that's the fallout of the last Nitro. We're like, oh my god, Randy's about to kill somebody on live on pay per view. It really leads into this match well, doesn't it? Yeah. like the build up to the match I like the idea of Randy becoming more solemn and we said in the opening vignette that's what it looks like solemn Randy Randy has changed the NWO changes people except summon a monster truck I'm just old Randy again (laughs) this is why it's so maddening not only is he not solemn he also solicits for a date after his ex-wife has basically told him that she loves him again and he's like ah screw that (laughs) this chick's got a monster truck I've seen it it looks like me who doesn't want to ride and sign themselves, you know, at the end of the day? It's real weird. Like, because it feels like they were so close to a good thing. Now, I don't think any gimmick could redeem the match, which we'll get into in a second. But it's very weird kind of change. We see Macho Man later 
and you know all black and kind of more different than he was in uh, WWF. But I guess this is the start of that change. So for the match itself, I can't talk about it much. Uh, at the start of the match, we get giant kick to the back. Like he's told, get out of here. They can only have Ted. Ted's the manager. There's no need for two managers. No one told Hollum Heat that in the last match, but whatever. <laughs> Crowd's pretty silent for this match, too. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, it, it's kind of just the same match as him versus the Giant, where Hogan's ahead for a little bit more of it. But it's the same. He's rolling out of the ring. He's cowering. He's going, no, he, you know, he's begging, no, 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 no. And then gets hit and expects the crowd to go mental because the like, bad guy had to beg, but no one cares. It's It's really hard to describe. It's just kind of a poor average match with very few actual wrestling moves going on poor is is uh underselling how bad it is i think yeah we get the it's the whole hulk just leaves the ring a bunch of times and then he hides behind elizabeth and randy just chases him again and again and again the highlight i guess is hulk gets his uh he gets his new hair torn off it's a wig gets his wig torn off halfway through the match and that's kind of the the face spot of the match do you guys have anything better to say any redeeming features for this for you it's pretty gross that he threw or he shoves the rug into hogan's mouth i thought that was fucking gross. <laughs> that's, that's quite gross yeah that's not that's not pleasant it's not a very face move no but like i think it's it's almost 10 minutes where between the stalling and then that whole the whole shenanigans around not only his wig but also the shades that he steals then off of him, and they're basically doing comedy spots. Considering again, it was all about I've literally taken everything away from Randy. I own Elizabeth, kind of stuff. And then you're doing comedy spots for the whole match. It's fucking awful. Like, and yeah. there's chair shots. No one gets DQ'd for randomly. Both it's of them right in front of the ref too. Yeah, yeah both yeah. of them just chair shot each other in front of the ref. Nothing happens. Elizabeth comes down. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. Elizabeth comes down and the commentary do a good job again of whose side is she uh, is she on? You know, we're back to the original podcast. <laughs> whose side is she on again? Trying to build that intrigue. But it doesn't intrigue me. It's kind of very it obvious is. whose side she's on from the start. Yeah. I mean, you just look at what she's wearing. <laughs> what she's wearing, yeah. Yeah. It's obviously, she's on Macho's side. With it. it was just like rainbow tassel get up. I don't even know what it was. Yeah. So th- this is what bothers me about these kind of matches, because these are the kind of matches Hulk Hogan has nowadays. We're not going to see a better match out of Hulk for a long time. They stay dead for so long. So at one stage, Randy gets a few moves done to him. He gets the big boot do- done to him, and Hulk is kind of hulking up and ready for the leg drop. And Elizabeth runs in and stops the leg drop. And then Hulk picks her up again, really creepy, picks her up by the chin, places her in the corners, like, I own you, I own you. You signed that contract. You won't be in Hollywood without me, blah, blah, blah. You're like, you're doing my movies. And then after a good two minutes of talking to her in the corner and trying to get heat, goes for the leg drop. Why, like, if Randy's been down for that long, pin him. The match is over. The ref should have called it. There's a dead man in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Why is he going for the leg drop after that long? And then the final moments of the match, there's like an exchange of moves. Of course, yeah. there's a ref bump, and of course, the giant comes out, chokes Sam's uh, Macho on the outside, rolls him in. Macho had hit the elbow before this to try and finish off um, Hogan. Hogan stays down for like 10 minutes, and Nick Patrick runs in. They help out the other ref who's taking a bump. Nick Patrick takes over, and he just allows all these shenanigans. When he goes for the pin for Macho before Big Show gets the choke, uh, sorry, Giant gets the choke slam. He cramps his neck, he holds his neck to stop the pin, and Macho gets really mad and rips up his shirt. It's just this whole kind of thing of shenanigans at the end. Then Nick Patrick, of course, when Giant puts Hogan over him, 
runs in and does the count, even though this has all been done before his eyes. This is fine. I don't mind. This is how Nick Patrick turns. But Nick Patrick also came out with two other referees to help the referee. Why did none of them take over the match? It, it's kind of holes in the story. Then Giant comes back with water to wake up Hulk Hogan. He yeah, ice. Ice water. And he throws the ice water over Hogan. And Hogan revives like he's not been knocked unconscious. That's not how you get people to be conscious again. That's not how that works. It's weird. He like spills half of it before he gets in the ring. Yeah. Sorry that I'm like stuttering and cutting back. But it's hard to piece together. It's just so much nonsense in one moment. And that's just the finish of the match. Hogan retains. He gets up. In fairness, he gives a bit of a good promo because it's all been comedy acts, which I don't get. But he jumps right up after the water. And he's like, yeah, I'm still champ. Because obviously he doesn't know he's won the match. And he's giving the card. Yeah. I was like, I told you I'd still be champ and stuff like that. Uh, Mr. I'm Mr. Hollywood. Yeah, I was yeah. playing it up. Yeah, so that's like the only decent thing. The promo afterwards, he calls the fan NWOites. What's his obsession with naming his fans? I don't know. He's done that a few times. It's it's just so shitty. It's it's almost even worse than Larry Zabisco calling the NWO the New World Odor. Odor, yeah. And they're very unmanly. <laughs> <laughs> we also got Hogan's pants pulled down. We could see a whole right. class oh, again. Yep. I really yep. didn't need to see that. Yeah, all the comedy spots in your super serious, super build-up main event. Just all the comedy spots any 12-year-old could think of. Awkward storyline, too, of Hogan just owning Macho's ex-wife. <laughs> and a, little, a lot of it's just too real as well, because there's yeah. a lot of uh, real-life stuff between these two. So this match was just shameful end to this feud. Because, I mean, Macho, this is the last match that we're going to see until March, I think, because his contract's up after Havoc. Yeah, it's it's truly, truly heinous and might be the worst main event. Like, maybe there's individually worse matches because they still try and work the crowd and Randy still gets some random pops. Like, even their basic moves, their hip tosses, their body slams, they look sloppy. These guys did not look prepared to wrestle any sort of match. So, it's sad. I'm, I'm a big Randy fan. I, I thought... We, I was going to see better things from Macho, especially after seeing his performance at Bash at the Beach. I thought was, I was really impressed with him. But since then, I, I, this doesn't seem like the same guy that I've seen. I mean, obviously, he's a lot older, so it's an, it's an unfortunate match to watch. So then we get our surprise, our surprise that no one asked for or wanted. And it's the debut of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Hollywood Hulk Hogan retains the world heavyweight title. Thanks to, hey, what is that? What's this all about? What's this music? What is this? There's no other match schedule. Sounds like, what? I'm going to tell you what it sounds like, boys. There's a big old chill bump running up and down my spine right now. I'm starting to get the bumps. I think I know what you're talking about. Sounds like bagpipes to me. Oh, no. Would you look at this? Yes! You know who that is! My goodness! It's Rowdy! Rowdy! Piper! No doubt about it! Out of nowhere! Look at Hulk Hogan's face! That's one man Hogan does not want to see! That's one man who has haunted Hogan's life since he started in this business! That's right! Get behind the giant chicken! He wants no part! of Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. And once again, WCW has just 
shut the world. Don't even think about it. Hi. Hi. So you're bored, are you? I've come here to break your monotony. Hey, Sprout! Sprout! Why don't you just head back with a Jolly Green Giant and take a break? Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you know what, uh, Mr. Piper? There's a big lack of communication here because when I said that I made wrestling, when I said that I own wrestling and I control wrestling, now that I really think about it, I remember that you and I were running neck and neck. Why don't you shut up for a second? It's my turn. Be careful. I am not here to represent the WCW, the NWA, the SPCA, the SOB, although I can be one SOB when I want to be. Be careful. Be real careful. Yeah, I made a lot of money being real careful. <laughs> I'll tell you something there, Charlie Brown. You've been saying that if it wasn't for you, professional wrestling wouldn't be what it is today. Boy, do I got news for you. I come to you for a reality check there, partner. I come because, you see, I'm just as big an icon in this sport as you are. I am just as big a Hollywood movie star as you are. You know, let me have my piece because I'm shooting with this one, folks. I don't care, man. I'm a multi-millionaire too. I started fighting pro when I was 15 years old. I've had over 6,000 professional matches. I've been stabbed three times. Who? Hello. Sit back, Sprout. Sit back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's cut. Wait a second. No, no, no. Shut your mouth. Let's cut. Hang on. Quick. Let me have the floor. I've caught your act. Where were you when I was 15 years old taking on all comers in a garage? Where were you, playing the bass guitar in Tootsie's Bar and Grill, huh? Where were you? Shut up, man. Oh, something, Piper. I'm gonna call a spade a spade. We ran together, the heck with a backstory. We fought together. And I don't have a problem with you because, okay, as you've been out in Hollywood making all those movies and becoming a multi-millionaire, I have to think back and give the devil his due. We ran neck and neck. No, no, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. 
You remember WrestleMania? Tell me something. If I hadn't knocked out Mr. T, took on the New York City Police Department, chased Dick Clark back, had my way with Liberace, if they didn't hate me so much, do you think they would have been cheering you so much? Shut up, I ain't finished. Do you know what bothers you? I'm the only guy you have never been able to beat. He's right. And I'll tell you something else. You're going to admit it. I am as big an icon in this sport, and whether you want to say it or not, you at least have the guts to put your hand out, and you shake my hand, and you admit that it isn't you that brought all these people here. It's all these people here that made you. Now, I'll be glad to. He, he is not coherent. It's very obvious that there's a script and he's gone off and Hulk doesn't know what to do about it. Keeps trying to restart. Uh, Rowdy at a point keeps bringing him back to the point of the interview and Roddy just goes off. He calls himself a multi-millionaire. He calls himself an icon of the business. He starts calling out, he, he talks about WrestleMania and Mr. T. He talks about how he was such a good bad guy, which is just breaking kayfabe in the middle of the ring. And he rambles on for so long that the pay-per-view ends and they just have to cut it off. <laughs> Can you guys put anything towards this? I, I re-watched it before the podcast and it is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Well, first of all, at least half the crowd have no idea who he is. It completely just doesn't work from that point of view. They're like, who is this? Oh, okay. It's some guy who has a Scottish team song. Right, and this is a guy that wrestles like once a year at this point-ish. I mean, as a kid growing up, like what I know him from is his match against Goldust at, Wrestle- at WrestleMania in previous, like I think it's either last year or earlier in the year. I Yeah, I think, I think it's a year before. I think it's like 95 is when that happens. And that's the last real time you've seen Piper do anything, really. He's not who I would have picked anyway to be like, oh yeah, this is who we're going to run with the next feud. He's trying to do something with the promo. The gist is he's trying to get over, look, you've never beat me. I've always beaten you. You've never pinned me. If anybody's going to beat you, it's going to be me, I think. That's meant to be the point of it. Uh, He just seems more interested in talking about how awesome he is. And all this that he's been shitty. stabbed three times, and... and all this shitty stuff from the past that like nobody knows anything about, or seems to care. Like even Hogan, like and Hogan likes talking. He's like, "Dude, you're killing this. What's what are you doing?" Like, because the way he interjects, he's like, "I mean, get to the point, Roddy. What are we trying to get across?" Like, you're like, "Wow, this is going well." And then they do like an awkward handshake. He's like, "Oh, at least you could shake my hand and tell me I'm a legend or whatever." And like, okay. Do you guys understand that at all? I'm st- I've am i watched like four times and I still am confused. I understand that Roddy's probably very drunk and he okay. wants Hulk Hogan to like pander to him. I imagine it's it's based in the in his feud with, with Hogan from early WWF time. Like. I actually want to back up just a few seconds because I, I have some weird notes about this yeah. uh, whole entrance. It's kind of weird that Piper music hits like after the, the Hogan promo, but they don't cut to the entrance ramp. WCW, of course, kind of fumbles this situation. Dusty says they shocked the world. I mean, but really, are we really shocking the world here? 
and there's somebody behind Piper on the entrance ramp. Do you know who this is? Because they cut away from it really quick. Nope. Nope. No, no clue. Not a clue. He could be a random production guy. It's just not meant to be out it there. It didn't look like it. It looked like a like a somebody that was like a wrestler yeah, he coming out. Stacked, with... right? I thought, oh, he brought, yeah. he's brought back up to fight the giant. But instead, the giant just had to cower as if he was a child for some reason. Like, Roddy is small. And they have giant not be able to beat him up. Why would you not just beat him up? You're the NWO. So I have this down as like my worst, the worst acquisition WCW maybe ever, ever makes. So they're bringing in a bunch of X guys, but at least some of them they got good work out of. Some of them are young, like the Outsiders, fantastic. Six, fantastic. They're still young, good wrestlers with notoriety. It's Roddy is at the end of his career. He just got a hip surgery, right? Or it's like before or after this, he gets hip surgery, but he's just off bad hips. He can barely wrestle. He can barely talk. He's way past his heyday. Half of the wrestling fans don't know who he is anymore. Is there anyone worse they get? Oh, there's there's definitely worse people they could have gotten, but... I mean, like, that they did get in this time frame. Warriors stuff, maybe. Probably worse, yeah. Warriors pretty bad. At least Warrior has a a decent idea behind it. It's just executed incredibly poorly. I think we can all agree, like, that it shouldn't be Piper. No. That's fair enough. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. However... Who do you use currently from that roster? So you don't get to sign anybody else and you're stuck with the way it's been. They don't really have any choice. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only one to use is like Lex because he's just redeemed himself in the pay-per-view by showing he's not a pushover. And Lex try to go one-on-one. And you just have him squash Lex. Like Lex obviously loses. Yeah, but after that, like nobody else is believable. No, they've kind of crushed the company in two like two weeks, uh, two months. Sorry, once Giant and Sting went, let's say, yeah. was there anyone left? Rick, maybe Rick, but he got injured. I think maybe they were planning Rick next. Maybe they have they have booked themselves into a corner with it a little bit. Right. So they're basically just they're spoiling a match that's going to come up at Starcade later in the year. So, yay, we get to watch that match. I assume it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, of course. That's what I find interesting as well is that this isn't even he shows up and it's not even for next month. Randy just had his title shot and he'd known about it for at least a month. Like it's all very planned. Like it's not this month, it's next month kind of thing. And then they have kind of intermediate stuff that kind of fills time almost. At least it's for Starcade. Starcade's like their big event. So at least they're, it's kind of like the WrestleMania. So it's like they, they know the big build kind of like Royal Rumble. Yeah, they'll they'll yeah. know it like a month and a half. Like in, I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah, this, this promo was all over the place. And what gets me too is I, I don't really know much about Piper. I, I haven't seen a lot of his old, his old stuff. I've heard so many things about that. He's such a great promo and things like that. So I had expectations going into yeah. this and holy crap. It just, this, this has shattered. to be one of the worst promos he's ever, ever done. I think he calls it a shoot a little way, way through it as well. It's, uh, Anyway, I'm, g- I'm going to have to have, wrap it up a bit, gentlemen. At the end of every episode, we ask, whose side are you on? Connor, we're going to start with you. Whose side are you on after this pay-per-view, NWO, WCW? I think I'm still on WCW side, kind of for the similar reasons that we just don't have a leader. I'm not going to comp out like Gus. I'm not going to say I'm on Sting's side, but I kind of want to be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, that's where I'm at on that. But overall, not a fan of the show. Dean and Ray was a great match, I thought. Jericho 6 was good. Faces of Fear really surprised me. So not much, like some good matches, but not too much story development other than like the Nick Patrick stuff. Really wasn't excited to see Jarrett. NWO like really lacked during the buildup. So no great moments, no great promos from the NWO. Really disappointed. WCW kind of seems to be coasting now, but I mean, WWF, they're like, 
they're not really doing that much at this point. I'll, I'll just give WCW that. And just WCW is in a weird point because we don't have Flair anymore. We don't have Macho. We don't have Sting. So we're kind of in this weird period of WCW. But overall, I, I think the pay-per-view was definitely not as bad as Hogwild. So I think I'll give it like a five and a half or like a six. Same question to you, Gus. How did you like the pay-per-view? And at the end, whose side are you on? NWO or WCW? I, I kind of enjoyed the last month worth of TV with like Nitro and pay-per-views from a storyline perspective. So if you look at it from a macro level, there's some good continuity. Things are progressing as they probably should. The group is getting bigger. It's becoming in charge. The reasons that they're gaining uh, all this momentum is because who they're fighting is in disarray. They don't have a solid leader. The one person they did have, they treated like shit. And he's rightly and justifiably went, well, fuck you guys. I don't want to deal with it. You sort yourselves out. I'll be waiting. Thanks very much for never trusting me after all the stuff that I've done for you. So on a macro level, it's going quite well. Yeah, it's it's all like the closer you look at it, the worse it gets. Like there's little bits of spark. Like I think they've done a good job at Ray and Dean. Jericho is quite well put together. Benoit is put together reasonably well. Uh, the tag division actually is surprisingly good. Now where that division is going, I'm not convinced because of uh, who now has the belts. The pay-per-view, I think, is better than the last one's. Uh, it has a couple of solid matches on it. At the same time, it probably has a worse low. Like, the main event is so bad. And the promo is just the worst way to end a show possible. It's probably a 5, maybe a 6, like Connor, with the actual show. As for whose side I'm on, I mean, if you're not on the NWO, like, you're definitely losing. Because they didn't lose a single match. And uh, I want to believe in WCW, though. I want there to be somebody who kind of comes out of this, but I just don't know where where it's going to come from. There's no plan. I'm still right there with Sting kind of going, you guys are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) As for myself, I think it's one of the more enjoyable pay-per-views we've watched so far. Some fine matches. The unfortunate thing is there's this crescendo storyline that always ends up in a Hulk Hogan match and they've all been terrible. I think at the moment I'm on WCW just because of how much I'm not enjoying the main events. And WCW has all these cool mid-card matches with Chris and the cruiserweights and stuff. The Outsiders doing a great job. I really enjoyed that tag team matches. But just the top end, the Giant and Hogan and their stuff was like a cartoon. It was like watching a cartoon. It's it's not what I expect from this angle. It's what I expect from different areas of wrestling, but not this angle. But that's all from us this week. Check us out on social media, either on Facebook or on Twitter. Both under the handle WCW vs. NWO Podcasts. And join us next time where we'll be watching and commentating on a match that's twice as fun as the Royal Rumble. From Connor, from Fergus, from me, thanks and we'll see you next time.